There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed. And that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Trying to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center. Perry. Stoops. Corey Perry. Well, able to shake away from Solani. It's given away to Solani. to the park i rented it i paid for it i paid the fee i got the license and then they wanted to change it and tell me i can't bring a camel to the park it's rough rough go all right (laughs) (laughs) we're back uh back with the forever money podcast after the draft after uh, I hope you all enjoyed our five-hour draft preview. I, you know, we heard I we heard a lot of good feedback, and I appreciate it. I do because I I thought it was going to be a tough go for a lot of you. A um, lot of just kind of lighthearted jokes about how long it was, but you all watched it, so I appreciate it. Uh, I hope it it helped, pre, you know, preview you and get you ready for the draft. Uh, even though the guy the Ducks ultimately drafted at ten, I kind of shit on a bit in our preview, but uh, <laughs> I am happy. <laughs> With the uh, with the pick, um, I, but yeah, you know we we have a draft preview show coming up that we're gonna get a guest on and 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 kind of go more more in detail in the picks, but it won't be five hours. I promise it will be uh, be a lot, a lot be much more condensed. Yeah, because we'll have somebody there that need, that has a time limit and needs to get off, so we can't sit. Yeah, <laughs> can't we'll sit here bullshit. But so yeah, we got that coming up. But it was good. It was good. It was fun. Um, I somehow did not get taken down. Uh, by Twitch because I live streamed the draft. Uh, they were we're not big enough, big time for them to to the NHL or Sportsnet or NHL Network to come hunt me down. So we had to. That's what you think. Yeah. Well, yeah. Maybe they're outside they're the door right now. Masks yeah. on, flashbangs ready, bro. They were waiting for this very moment where I go live and admit to everybody that I publicly streamed the draft. <laughs> so. Yeah, the video record of it wasn't enough. They needed the confession. It was better. It was it was better. Because normally when we do that, the last couple of years that we've live streamed the draft, we haven't had the stream on, but I'm still watching it from a stream because I refuse to buy cable. So I'm always a 30 seconds behind and we got people in the chat, honestly excited and they're watching on their TV. And then I know the pick before we get it. The draft lottery has been like that the last three years we've done the draft mm-hmm. lottery live and it's been a mess and it's Jimmy every year. Refuses to not spoil it. And <laughs> <laughs> chat, so. 
But yeah, I mean, it, it was fun. We had some live reactions uh, to the Ducks' first two picks, Minchukov and, and Goche, and some of the guys that um, some big trades. Obviously, the uh, the Blackhawks and Canadians putting together a few trades, and the Islanders kind of getting in the mix there. Uh, Chicago moving up to seven, uh, Montreal moving from wherever they were to thirteen, and then trading thirteen to Chicago. I guess I think for Kirby Dak. So some some big moves on draft day, but a relatively quiet day for the Ducks in terms of trades, but they walk out of the draft with two really good players, some good picks in the second round, and then anything beyond that. They didn't have a third, so anything from the fourth and beyond, are, they're always crapshoots anyway. So big focus on uh, the first four guys that went, but a fun day, a fun couple days, and somehow the entire second round was a lot quicker than the four-hour first round. <laughs> usually, usually is. Yeah, I clocked out. So I started the stream 10 minutes after... The broadcast begun at uh, 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 Eastern. Uh, so I thought I was late. I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to you know, potentially miss the first pick, whatever. Nope, they're still doing intros and everything. And when I clocked out um, just after the last pick, probably about 30 seconds after the last pick, the stream was three hours and 55 minutes long. That's absurd. 32 picks took three hours and 55 minutes. I know there's some trades thrown in there, but holy. It's, well, uh, yeah, but... It, it, it's the commercials it's you know them stretching everything out like yeah walk well it's it in person uh, again too right so walk into the stage mm-hmm. and the pictures and yeah that, and so. you know it's also like it's the first round so like the stakes are raised as far as making your pick you've got teams that are probably you know debating what pick to make up until the last possible second unless you know i, I mean i don't i don't know what like the average time needed to make a pick is but it wouldn't surprise me if it was longer in the first round than any other round yeah well you get the three minute clock too right you get the three minute clock in the first round and i'm sure that shortens down a bit in the second so yeah um but no it was fun the draft was uh it was fun i uh i was actually in the car for the all i think i only was on for the first four picks i was able to follow the stream and then uh i had to get the car so you got some excitement shane wright falling to four Mm-hmm. That was great. I mean, and it was funny because, like, we kept hearing Slavkowski, Slavkowski, and it, everybody was kind of like, ah, it's fucking bullshit. And then right before it started, Bobby Marks, man, tweets it out. You're at Slavkowski's first, and everybody's yeah. like, oh, fuck, it's for real now. <laughs> yeah, the moment the moment he puts it out, you know. And, like, it's it's just wild. I don't understand how he's this connected, but it was, like, 30 seconds before each pick was made. Slavkowski, Nemec, Cooley. Like, <laughs> This guy's got a hardwired line right to the GMs yeah, before they make 100%. their pick. It's like after the pick is in, there's a text that goes out to Bobby. It's like, oh, we're taking this guy. And he tweets it out like it's you can't. It's absolutely honestly, wild. you can't rule out that he's got the like Batman super screen thing. Yeah. Where it's just him watching a thousand screens and making sure he knows who every pick is going to be every second. Yeah, it's, wild. It, it's it's uh, a whole nother level. It's like watch right, watch for NBA and. He's just at right. that level where it's he's just I don't know what he's done to get to that point, sold his soul or something, but he's just just so connected. Everybody's on speed dial. The anything and the moment any GM does anything, that guy's getting a text to his phone saying, "Listen, this is going down. You're the guy we want to we want to get it out there." And like, he's toned it down now because he's retired. But like there was that era for a long time where anything happened, it was coming from Bob. That was it, just mm-hmm. him. Uh, but now it's now it's his empire has been divided among a bunch of different and he people. still 
just walks out every now and then reminds yeah. everybody that he's still the shit. Yeah, he comes out so for for draft and trade deadline and just uh, reminds everybody like, listen, when I'm out here, when I'm when I'm center stage, I'm I'm, I'm throwing it down. Everything's coming through me. So yeah, it it really is just kind of you know your dad coming out into the driveway and dunking on you in the hoop just to be like, just so you guys know, I'm still in charge. Yeah. Because I he's doing that for himself and for the fans and any other reason, it has to be like, fuck you, Elliot, you know? And or to promote Kuiper, Like any of that stuff, right? Yeah. Other than the margaritas, there's no reason <laughs> yeah. for him to do this. So, you know, and everything I've heard is that he's a decent guy. Like he seems like a good dude. So like, I don't think he's doing it to be a dick to Elliot or anything like that. I think he's yeah. just doing it because he enjoys it. Yeah. He did it for so long at the top and, you know, it's hard to just kind of one day say, okay, I'm not doing it anymore. So he comes out for the, <laughs> the one-off events every year, the draft and, and uh, free agency, or not free I don't know if he comes free agency, but the trade deadline in the draft, that's where he's, uh... oh, jeez, Brett says he has all the GM's <laughs> children hostage. <laughs> oh, no, his, his uh, Bobby Margarita empire is built on children's tears. <laughs> all, good mar- all good empires are built yeah. on children's tears. It's yeah, fine. We had uh, a pretty pretty in-depth conversation before the show. Because we're stupid. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. There's been a lot happening, um, and just in terms of, I guess, the reaction to how the last couple of days have gone um, with the picks the Ducks have made, with the, the I guess, the, the lack of moves that they've made, despite having all this cap space that they said they're willing to to put out there. I, I think if I go back and look at the trades, there was really only like three trades where cap space, significant cap space, was moved, and it was actually a cap dump. I don't consider Ryan McDonough's trade a cap dump because. The Predators really wanted him, and they paid to get him. And Tampa was dumping him, but the Predators want him to play. Like, it's not a straight cap dump. But you're like, Mrazic, <sighs> Mrazic was a cap dump. Cassian was a cap it's... dump. There wasn't much. And, like, that's the thing. Is like Everybody's like, oh, Verbeek's a fraud because he didn't go out and do what he said he was going to do and acquired bad contracts for assets and more picks. And it's like, but, man, like – there weren't but many that happened. That. Yeah, you can still do that. And like it still can happen. Yeah, the reason we're recording today is because we're a couple days away mm-hmm. from free agency when teams are gonna need to go out and want to when teams are gonna want to go out and spend money. Yeah. And they're gonna need cap space to do that. Maybe some of the moves that were gonna be made are gonna have next year's picks attached to them or prospects that were just taken, maybe. You know what I mean? There's there's a thousand different things. The opportunity for Pat for B to weaponize his cap space is not gone. And no, just the chance to weaponize it for this draft is gone, which is fine. Draft, it just didn't exactly. materialize at the draft. Right. And this is, again, all to say there's still the rest of this fucking season for him to carry that cap space into the trade deadline. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. there are a thousand ways. They don't have to spend the cap space right now. It's not burning a hole in their pocket. They just got to get to the floor, and they can operate at the floor. Like we're, we're, we're going to dive into RFAs it. Yeah. That they need to sign anyways. They're going to be fine. They're going to get to the floor. Yeah, there, there's not as much room to get to the floor as people think. We're, we're going to dive into that. Obviously, the show is about that. We're going to talk about the RFAs and and even some of the UFAs the Ducks have. They need eighteen about it's around eighteen million. I think it's slightly above eighteen million or slightly below to get to the floor, which is $61 million from where they are now. Lindstrom has to re-sign. Milano likely going to re-sign. Steele up in the air. Vakanine and Benoit. And then Jacob Larson. Those are the RFAs. Aston Reese, Leteri, Mayhew, Simone, Suster, Robinson, and Patterin are the UFAs. So let's say you sign you know, a few of the UFAs 
or at the very least your RFAs. You're getting to about 14, 13 million, maybe less than that. You know, somewhere between 10 and 14, I would think. Okay, then you go out and you sign a few UFAs. Maybe you take on one bad contract. Boom, you're there. You're at the floor, right? Like, it's not that difficult to get there. You don't need to use it all because guess what? You're going to have this cap space next year too. You're going to have it throughout the entire season, like you said. You're going to have it at the trade deadline when teams are going to want to offload bad contracts to get other guys. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's going – you're going to be fine. Like you're, you are going to be fine. You're going to make it there. And, like, I don't look at the the lack of moves as, as an issue because, again, there weren't many deals that were made. You know, there's a big harp on, oh, we didn't get Dabrinkit. We didn't get Fiala. Guess what? We, I don't know how, you know, if we were really ever in the discussions, and maybe we were. We talked about this again before the show. The packages that both those players went for, I firmly believe there was absolutely nothing the Ducks could do other than severely overpay for these guys because of what went the other way. Chicago was looking for the highest possible pick they could get in the first round to get their guy. Kyle Davidson, after he drafted Kevin Krachinski, yeah, everybody's going to say this about their guy, but there was something about the way he said it that they wanted this guy. And the fact that he went at seven, yeah, they wanted this guy because he could have gone around 10 to 15. Like, there's a chance he could have fallen. They wanted this guy. They wanted this guy at seven. If somebody told me today, oh, the Ducks could offer 10 and this and this and this. Okay, but you would have had to go well above and beyond and overpay to do that because Chicago wanted seven. They wanted that pick to get their guy where they could have got them. You could argue maybe Krachinski would have been at 10, but why take that risk when you've got seven on the table? You can get seven right there and you can get your guy. You don't have to worry about it. Don't have to gamble. You get your guy. You don't want to make it. The last thing you want to do if if you're the Blackhawks GM is make that trade with Anaheim, get 10, Krachinski goes before. Now you're like, oh, God, well, we wanted this guy. That's the guy we yeah. wanted in, in the Debrinket trade. Now we didn't get him. Now what are we going to do, right? You're exactly. still going to get a good player, but that's the guy you wanted. And then the Fiala trade. So it's 19 and Faber is what they got. And Faber's projections are all over the place, but they're, it's some people think he's going to be an NHL defenseman who can be like a 4-5 shutdown. There are some people think he can be a 2-3 that if the offense comes along, it'll be a real elite shutdown defenseman from Minnesota played at the university of Minnesota. Guess which team has probably seen a lot of him this year outside King scouts. Um, probably Minnesota. Right. So not only do you get that prospect who's some people think he's up here. Some people think he's down here. Minnesota clearly thought he was up here. You get the 19th pick. Somebody said to me today, why, why not Hellison and a few picks? Well, because Hellison is probably down here compared to Faber with what they where they project these guys to be. Well, and think about think about this, right? Who did Hellison get traded for? Josh Manson. Yeah. Who did Faber get traded for? Kevin Fiala. Yeah. And he's the main so, piece of that deal. The 19th yeah, pick and, is a first-round pick throw-in. Yeah. I mean, it's the two key pieces. They weren't yeah. making that trade without both of those pieces. Right, yeah. Yeah, that's but, you know what I mean, and and let's be and again, if nothing else, there should be something to be said that Minnesota is one of those teams along the lines of Nashville and Anaheim that have a record of developing multiple impact top four defensemen. Mm-hmm. So if they think this guy's got a shot, and yeah, man, that's yeah. the guy that they wanted. And there is something to be said about having. Um, local kids, how many of us have all been like, fuck it, let's just go get Cam York because yeah. he's from LA. And Minnesota right? has a history. Team. They have a history more than I think any other team of getting kids from Minnesota. 
they f- whatever that fits the, their ethos, their philosophy of the, how mm-hmm. they want to build their team is they want kids who want to compete and play for the Minnesota Wild. I can't hate that. They are a smaller franchise in the sense that they're not a New York or a Toronto. Like they, they, they have some of the best fans in hockey in terms of showing up and being there no matter how the team is. But there's something to be said about having a kid who knows what it's like to play and grow up and, and be in that area. And they seem to value that clearly of the way they have you know, they, they handed out long term deals to Parise and Suter because they wanted guys who were from Minnesota right. and that are used to living there, can play there and play for the team and want to, to win in Minnesota. So there's something to be said hey, about didn't that. They, uh, didn't they have Matt Cullen on their team at one point? Yeah. Weird. I feel like yeah. that's relevant. Yeah, oh. it, 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 I don't know, man. Like, if you're Anaheim at that point, then you're having to offer Zellweger, and there's a very high chance that Minnesota even values Faber above Zellweger just because, again, for all the reasons we've already said. So how high are you willing to go to just completely trump that offer to get Fiala, where it's not even worth it at that point. It's not on Pat Verbeek. We don't know what the offer was, but when you can look at both these deals and say, yeah, there was two pieces that this, in each of these deals that the teams clearly wanted and the Ducks couldn't do anything to compete with it, they just didn't have something that would stack up unless you're overpaying, then it's, it's not worth it. It's not his fault that Ottawa had seven and we had ten and that you know, right. LA has favor and we didn't have a guy that Minnesota valued as highly as favor. That's their opinion of, of the players that were available and they wanted those right. guys. I'm sure there were conversations around those players and the Ducks just weren't willing to give up as much as it would have cost from their end uh, versus what LA ended up giving up, right? And it's it's all about perspective you go into that, but then it moves into the signings. After the, the big trades didn't go Anaheim's way, we see people come out and say, oh, well, Forsberg re-signed in nashville we should like he's not even out here going after forsberg he can't Dude, forsberg if nothing else forsberg has made it so yes so 100 percent yes i i think the thing the, the thing for me is is like there's multiple reasons why you can there's multiple valid reasons for why those two guys are not in anaheim right mm-hmm. now there's also multiple valid reasons why they shouldn't be the argument for why they should be is very simple. They're really good. Mm-hmm. Not arguing with you. Brinkett's great. Fiala's great. We've talked about both on here. We've been huge fans of them. You know what I mean? I was a little bit more hesitant on bringing Fiala in. You were a big fan of it because you like the way he plays. Yeah. I, I don't, you know what I mean? And I said it even on the thing. Like, look, man, if we get Fiala, I'm not going to be pissed. I think he's a great player. You know, but okay, fine. So now what you're looking at is, like you said, there's the package part of it. But then there's also the part that both of those guys also had to get re-signed. Mm-hmm. That's why they had to get traded. If Debrinket doesn't have one year left before being arbitration eligible as an RFA, he's not getting traded. They have no reason to trade him. Well, they traded him because of the paycheck that he's going to get next. Yep. Fiala got traded because Minnesota literally could not afford to keep him because of the cap hits from those two contracts you, early, you talked about earlier. So those guys get moved out because those teams couldn't afford to keep those guys. Anaheim, sure, could have afforded to keep those guys, right? They could have signed both of those contracts. They could have traded for both of those guys and fit both guys' next contract under the cap. I've been fine. But what did you give up to get those guys in? And do those guys actually fit where you're at? Mm -hmm. What good does adding two top top six forwards do for a team that has no defensemen. Like, 
At this point, we have three defensemen. Jamie Drysdale is just finished up his rookie season, is an offensive, undersized defenseman. Kevin Shattenkirk is a third-pair offensive defenseman. Cam Fowler is a two-way, you know, transition-style player, right? You can't build the defense core around those guys. And if you're giving out $15 million in contracts or bringing in almost $15 million in cap hit between DeBrinket and Fiala, okay, like, where are you going to go get these guys? Like, it just doesn't make sense. There isn't a situation short of trading Zegris and McTavish for Connor McDavid. We're adding guys of that caliber at this age point makes any sense. Yeah, it, and and like, listen, I get, I get. There's a section of any fan base that, no matter what, just wants the team to win. I want the team to win too. Don't get yeah. me wrong. I want to watch the team win at at some point. But there are some moves when you look at them and say, listen, like this guy's a great player, but this does not help the team right now. It does not help the long term progress of this team. They get better now getting Fiala. They get better now getting Debrinka. But what do you have to give up to get that? And again, we just went into how the packages just don't make sense for the Ducks. The other teams had something they didn't want. But like, let's talk about Forsberg, for example. What does adding Forsberg do right now for this team? Right, it you makes them better now. Half million dollars in contract. Yeah, it, it makes them better now. But they would have had to sign him to seven because they don't have the ability to offer eight like Nashville did. One, they can't even talk to the guy right now. They can't even negotiate with him because he was under the rights for Nashville to negotiate with them and didn't make it to free agency. So anybody I've seen saying, oh, we missed out on Forsberg. No, we didn't. Nobody missed out on Forsberg because Nashville had all the control until Wednesday to sign him, and they did. Mm. Nobody could have that conversation with him. But even if he made it there, what what does he do right now? He makes his team better in the short term. Maybe they make the playoffs. Maybe they don't. But he doesn't make them a cup-contending team. And then one Yeah. Sorry. Why would he want to fucking come here? That's what point. is he getting here that he's not going to get in Nashville? And not only the roster, but some he's... other fucking team. Yeah, but Did not even the roster, the intangibles. This guy's been in Nashville. He's their yeah. leading, I think he's their leading goal scorer of all time. I think Why so, would yeah. he want to leave? A team that a team that he's been with for basically the majority of his career other than being drafted by Washington. He's done everything. He's gone far. They haven't won it. But he's got a chance to lock him down right now for eight years and try and win. And they're in a better position right now than the Ducks to win. And if you want to get it done at home, then get it done at home, right? Like, I I, I don't know, man. Like, this whole thing about the, the, the whole point we're having this conversation is a lot of people are upset with the way the Ducks handled the, the trades and the drafts and, and, you know, bringing in high-profile players right now and utilizing their cap space. We are nowhere near done what could be done this offseason. We are in the very, very early days of the offseason. There's a lot more that can be done. But we're also not at the point of the rebuild where this needs to happen, right? Like we had a just a, a Twitter argument after Twitter argument over the last few days, which I regret getting involved in. But about how yeah, the, the you know the, the, how we're the idiots. Ducks, the, you know, I I want the Ducks to be good. I invested this and that and watching this team, and like, yeah, we all have. We've all invested in some way in wanting this team to be good. But to go out and just completely throw your plane out the window to go and acquire older players or sign players to longer term contracts just to be a little bit better this year 
does not serve this franchise well. They are a couple years away from being able to do that. And we've had examples thrown at us of, well, what about the Rangers? And what about this team? What about that team? Well, when the Rangers went out and acquired Panarin, they're in a position that he takes them to that next level. They had almost everything else, but they needed that guy to get them to the next level, in a sense. To, To be fair, they did, with Panarin on the team, win two fucking draft lotteries. Yep. What? the fuck yeah and they had what good did he actually do then one of the best offensive defensemen in the league fallen through the laps because the only place he wanted to play was new york right and they're they're not a good example in that sense but there are so many examples of very good teams who built the same way the ducks are building now got to a point where they needed and had the ability to add these star players whether it's through trade or free agency to this core of players Zegers and Drysdale played in this league for one season. They both had really good years. Zegers was run out for the Calder. Terry's had one good year. They are not at that point yet. And then everybody throws it. You throw McTavish into the mix and Zellweger. They have had very good junior seasons. They have McTavish has played nine games in the National Hockey League. Perot has had a one very good AHL season and a few good junior seasons. He's played one game in the National Hockey League. The rest of their prospects haven't got here yet. They are not at a point to go out and add Forsberg to this roster to supplement a young core that we don't even know how many of them are sticking around yet and how many of them and where they're going to play in the lineup. They're not We don't there have yet. the core. They're not like, there yet. We think we do, and I'm not trying to discount it. You can attest to the ridiculous amount of hype I have been feeding you just about how much I love McTavish. I think he has a chance to be incredibly special. Mm-hmm. I really, really do. Do you know what that is? It's a chance. We don't know yet. Yeah. You can't commit to a core that you don't have. Trevor Zegras and Troy Terry could both turn into pumpkins next season. It could happen. We don't know. There isn't enough proof of concept yet for either of those guys to say, we need to start building now. Yeah. What you're looking at is going, okay, we need to start looking at making sure maybe maybe the guys we're drafting, we try to pick guys with smaller timelines, right? Like Minchikov. Mm-hmm. Minchikov's a guy who has a pretty short timeline. He could probably be the league next not next year, but the year after, 23-24. Yeah. Like that seems reasonable to me. Yeah, next year in next year in the OHL and then a shot at a few games probably in the NHL and we'll right. see from there, right? Like right. there's a, there's a good chance and we, like Again, he's only he has three more years of of OHL eligibility because he missed the last season because of COVID. So he, he you know, he, it's going to be a tough spot that the Ducks are put in at some point because of that. We can get into that discussion later, but because of that shortened season, he's going to have more eligibility. But like the whole point is, we have the starting of a core, we have the right. good foundation of it. In two or three years, we'll know what we have with the guys that we have now. We'll know what we have with McTavish because he'll likely play in the NHL this year. We'll, and, we'll, and over the next couple of years, we'll kind of establish himself as an NHL player. We'll have more to see from Troy Terry, more from Drysdale, more from Zegras, Perot, Tracy, the guys on the cusp of the NHL at the point. Mintikov will be making his way to the NHL. Colangelo, all these guys that we've drafted in the first, second, third round are going to start making their way to the NHL roster. We'll know what core we have. And then at that point, when we know what we have, and if we think these young guys are ready to take over the team and be the, the core foundation of this team moving forward, okay, what do we need? We need a top six player. Okay, who's available in free agency? Who's available in trade? Now we can move some of the other pieces that we just drafted in 2023 and 2024 and 2025 
that we don't need right now, you can start moving those guys out in future picks for these guys to bring in a supplement that I get it. Somebody put it in here. DB Lowry put it in. Like there's an impatience coming from the fact that this is the longest playoff drought in almost two decades. I get it. I understand it. You you're as any fan base hates losing. You want to see them win as quickly as possible, but there's a plan in place and the ducks are not at that stage yet to be adding these types of players. We've seen what it has done to rebuilds and franchises in the past. It's set them back. They've rushed it. We've used Vancouver no, as right, an example. Right. What, yeah, used... I was going to say, what do we want to do? Go out and sign Tyler Myers and Jay Beagle and Louis Erickson. And, uh, right after drafting Pedersen uh, and Besser and Hughes yeah, and looking, waiting to see what you have with those guys in Demco. And then all of a sudden you think, okay, like, I think we're ready after one or two years of these guys. No, you weren't. You weren't ready. And it shows. You haven't made the playoffs with those guys and the guys you added because you didn't add at the right time. You didn't stay bad as, as stupid as it sounds. You didn't stay bad long enough to figure out what you had and the guys that you have on the roster and give them enough time to, to, to really get there. Here's the other part of it. The guys who you were betting on weren't at the point where the guys that you were adding made a difference. Mm-hmm. If you go back in time, just to that say, Jay Beagle going to Edmonton would make more sense than when he went to Calgary or Vancouver. Mm-hmm. He would have actually been able to be a meaningful player for that short period right after leaving Washington, right? He was a good for like two, three years ago. He could have been a meaningful player for uh, like uh, Edmonton, Jesus Christ. Right? Um, he could have been a meaningful player for Edmonton at that point. Vancouver wasn't there yet. So even if you want to say that the guys that they went out and signed, maybe they paid a little bit too much, but that's what happens in free agency. Okay. Well, these are the well, maybe they didn't add the most top line guys, but they thought they had the top line helmet. They have Corvat, they have Pedersen, they've got Besser. Okay, all right, I see what you're saying. But now look at what they're doing where they had to take on Ollie, uh, Oliver Ekman Arsene's terrible fucking contract to get out of fucking yeah, and now they're trying to move it back out the you door. Fucking, what are we doing? Like, like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be in that position, which is why I'm fine with this. And DBLR says, what's the difference between the Vancouver's rebuild and the Kings? I think it's fairly similar ex- because the Kings are now – I don't think they're at the point where they no, should no, no, be no. at it. Here's the difference. Here's the difference. Anze Kopitar is still on the fucking roster. That – That's – if Daniel and Henrik Sedin yeah. were 34, it's a different conversation. Mm-hmm. That's the difference. I think there's two things. The Kings I think it's... haven't rushed their young guys. They're not. Turcotte yeah. hasn't been forced up. Byfield hasn't been rushed in. They're not rushing their young guys, and they have older players who are still top six players. Yeah, I, like I, you can I, say what you want. Monte Cooper are still fucking good. Yeah, so is that. That's the difference. Like, like, and and Quick had a great season. Like, I I think the difference is is that that Kopitar, Doughty, Quick are still there and playing well, and that the Kings drafted so well over that small period of time where they were rebuilding, where they had multiple assets to move to get some of these guys, that they still have a very good core of young prospects on the way. They still have Brant Clark, despite moving Faber. They're able to move mm-hmm. Faber because they have Brant Clark, and they have Helga Grants, and they have a lot of other defensemen, Tobias Bjornfot, that's in the NHL Dursey, now. yeah. Dursey, like... They've got these guys. They can move favor to bring in Fiala because they don't need them. They don't need them. And they can take a swing with the, the older guys they have on the roster. And guess what? If it doesn't pan out and they don't win before these guys' contracts are up, guess what? Byfield's still coming. 
Turcotte's still coming. Kaliev's still young. Kempe's still young. you got all those defensemen we talked about on the way. That's the difference. That's the difference is they've done it right. Now they're trying to win with, you know, with a little bit of what they have left. I don't think they'll get it done. But they have give, put themselves in a position that, guess what, you can do that. You can try and win with Kopitar, Doughty, and Quick because you're not mortgaging the future to do it. You still mm-hmm. have those prospects on the way, and you draft well enough that you know you you will have more prospects to kind of edge that out. Now you can move some of these picks and whatever. You know, again, like I said, if things don't pan out, you still have Byfield. You're not moving him. You still have Turcotte. You're not moving him. So when Kopitar goes, we got Byfield. You've got Deneau, and you've got Turcotte. It's not bad. Byfield hits the ceiling that he does. You go right from one contention into a longer period of contention with mm-hmm. some veterans on your team. Fiala. A little bit older, 27, 28, 29. Well, that's Arvidsson, fine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, that's fine at that point. It, you know, you and you added guys that are in a sense young enough, like Fiala, that if this contention window with him doesn't work out with Kopitar, he slides right into the next one as a veteran mm-hmm. forward. Maybe down the road it becomes a little bit of, a, of a, an issue contract cool. wise, but you, you haven't mortgaged that good future you have in young prospects to try and take another swing at it. So I think that's the difference for them. I'm I, again, I was never a huge fan of the way they did it, but I can look back at, in perspective and, and, and kind of realize like they've earned themselves the right to do this because they built it the right way. And they're not mortgaging that future to do that. Um, yeah. I, the other thing is like when we're, even if we are just like, super hyper projecting that every draft pick from the last three years is going to hit their ceiling, right? Uh, we don't even know if two of them are going to be on this team, even though we drafted him. We could see Thrun and Lacombe both leave. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so now those are two guys who are the closest of some of these, you know, uh, defensemen to being in the roster. Like, if they leave, okay, great. Now, those are two guys who at least could have maybe made the NHL in a season or two. Who fucking, like, it, we yep. don't even know that the guys we have are here. Like, they're not even here for sure. They Very could early not days. sign Very their contract. Yeah. Yeah, and again, and I'm not saying that they're walking out the door. I do think a little bit of that has been a little bit overblown. I think it's one of those things similar to how everybody reacted to McTavish because of Nick Ritchie PTSD. I do think this is a little bit of everybody freaking out because Justin Schultz once said, fuck you guys. Like, yeah. okay, hey, it happens, man. The majority of these guys, guys do this. sign, though. The majority of right. these guys do sign with the team that drafted them. And yeah. and it's not that they don't want to sign. It's that they want to play their final year you know, of college. That's that. You cannot sign the NHL contract and go back and play college. There's a consequence for signing the NHL contract. They want to go back and think they have more to prove in college and try a shot at winning. It's not that they're afraid or they don't want to sign in Anaheim. They just want that chance to, to get that last year of eligibility in college. That's fine. Even if they just don't want to play for Anaheim, that's on. That's their decision to make. But Anaheim has to take that into account. They either, A, have to do something similar to what we saw with um, – Adam Fox, where it's like you're you're moving this or not Adam Fox. Um, who was it? Oh, there was a defenseman that got traded. I think it was it Jimmy VC. Maybe it was a forward, but like he was supposed he was with Nashville and they traded him for peanuts Fox, to the Fox Rangers. Did that. Fox was uh, drafted by Carolina. They traded him to Calgary, and then Calgary traded him to the Rangers. That's right, because it had been kind of a thing that he was just like, he was going to go to New York one way or the other. But I think Jimmy Vesey was a guy who basically told the team, like, I'm not coming. 
Yeah. And so they traded him. Yeah, until Nashville so, he wasn't wasn't playing yeah. then. Yeah, so they like, moved him out. Th- those things can so if you're the team, you have to take that into account. That is a form of your pick busting, which you have to have in the math. Mm-hmm. It has to be in the idea that maybe all of these picks aren't gonna work. Yeah. yeah or you, most you, of these picks aren't gonna work. You, you can never operate as if they're all gonna work. You can't. Right. It's it's stupid. You can't operate under the assumption that everyone's going to stay healthy the entire season. You can't operate under the assumption that every player you draft is going to become the best version of that player. Like, it, there's just... There's a... There's a willful ignorance to the way that some of these things are being talked about that, to me, ignores context. Mm-hmm. Yeah. we Like, it is almost... Like, I, I mentioned this to you before, which was kind of the start of our whole fucking conversation there's it like again i am because of the way everything ended and what we know and stuff like that i'm reticent necessarily to like praise the guy but i will say i do think bob murray should get more credit for appreciating that clearly this fan base is not necessary or let me say it this way clearly the there are significantly vocal portion of this fan base that does not have the patience for a rebuild yep they are entitled to that i'm not I, I disagree. I think it's silly, but they're entitled to feel that way. Bob Murray, those are his customers too, right? Those are the guys he still like needs to get into the building. This is why they traded for uh, Henrique because they're well. When Kessler comes back, now Henrique drops down in the lineup. Now we're in a really good spot because our third line center was actually a two line center quality. Okay, great, but like, there there were decisions that were made to keep Anaheim contending. That backfired at some point or in some way or didn't work or pan out because they and I didn't win that we are still dealing with. Mm-hmm. Part of that, though, does seem to be Bob Murray being like, I'm not 100% sure. Like, let me say it this way. It would seem fair, given the way everything has gone with how promising the rebuild looks already, that people are already rushing it. It seems fair to me that Bob Murray was like, oh, we don't have time for this. Like, I can't. I can't afford to take this down to the studs or make some of the bigger changes that I have to because these fans are going to riot. Like, I, you know, I just, we've lived this life before. We have seen this team prioritize the window over the future. And I was fine with it for a lot of it because you had Ryan Getzloff and you'd go for it. That's fine. But now we're in the point where we're looking for Ryan Getzloff. We don't have him yet. We're hoping maybe Trevor Zegers is that guy, or even Mason McTavish is that guy, or maybe Troy Terry's that guy. But we don't know. The odds, just the odds, say whoever that guy is probably isn't on the team yet. That's just statistical odds as far as who is going to be, you know, impact players and things like that. I have all the confidence in the world that this team is going to move forward with Zegers and Terry and Dreesdale and McTavish and hopefully Zellweger, and this team is going to be competitive like meaningfully competitive, but I have no interest in making the playoffs or taking ourselves, you know, like just being the 13th worst team doesn't do anything for me. I don't want to just get into the playoffs. That's not interesting or fun for me. Yeah. If this team was a little bit better, sure, I'm fine with it. Go swing for it. Take your shot. You think you got it? Go for it. But honestly, do we think we're better than Vegas? Do we think we're better than Colorado? Are Vegas we fully healthy than Edmonton no. yet? This is like St. Louis is still good. Minnesota has really good players. 
Even with the guys we're talking about adding, too. Like, even with Fiala, are we better than those teams? No. No. There's too many needs. What what are we even doing? We're just wasting time and money trying to do something that we contextually cannot do, Mm -hmm. as opposed to taking your time, patience, which, you know, it sucks. It's not fun losing games. There are legitimate conversations to be had about bringing in meaningful veterans to play important roles within the locker rooms, to having a culture that... While the reality is this team isn't expected to be competitive, we still have an internal expectation that we are going to be professionals, right? Like, again, this is why I've talked about how much I like Dallas Eakins. This is the one thing that you need. Dallas Eakins hits perfectly. He gets the process. You can have – I have all the, all the other stuff is what it is. He gets where they're at. He gets the process. He understands that what he's trying to do right now is make professional athletes. He's trying to teach these guys how to come to the rink every day be professionals, how to be successful, how to stay focused, how to go through the ups and downs of a long season. Ryan Getzloff said it. He goes, they asked him, like, what happened in the second half? He goes, a lot of the kids didn't know what it took to do it for a full year, which isn't their fault. They've never had to do it. That's not their fault. You just have to learn. Like, you can't be expected to be incredible right off the bat. That's fucking stupid. So if we're not going to give these kids the opportunity to learn and to grow, what are we doing it for? Like, what's the point? Yeah. No. I, I, we, we, we had to get into that, guys, before we got into some of this stuff because it's been a big conversation uh, on social media and among Ducks fans about the lack of anything really going on, especially because we're going to get it now into our free agency preview and talk about guys like Johnny Goodrow and some of the bigger trade targets out there. And, listen, like, if the Ducks don't sign Johnny Goodrow, it doesn't mean they're they're not trying to – build something for the future and trying to be more competitive it just does not make sense for one and two a player like that why would they want to we already mentioned this why would they want to come to anaheim at this point mm-hmm. uh at 28 and in, in or 29 in goodrow's case why why would you come here now to be through this for another three or four years you've got a better chance to go somewhere else in a team that has just as much money to spend on you you're going to mm-hmm. get just as good a contract it it makes it makes no sense. And yeah, you know what? The Ducks do have money to spend this year. I think that's been the big part. Is a lot of people looking objectively saying the Ducks have thirty nine million dollars in cap space. They should be able to go out there and compete with all these teams and sign the best players. That's not what goes into that. Every team has money. Okay, let's let's roll that back. Not every team has money. The majority <laughs> of teams have money, or at least enough fair. money to sign the top free agent. About twenty teams probably have that much money. And to be fair, we have seen multiple teams have been able to create room. Mm -hmm. If you're willing to pay the price, you can create the cap room that you need. The the first that was Seth Jarvis going to Carolina to buy out Marlowe for them. They paid a first-round pick so somebody would buy out Marlowe for them. Like, you can pay these prices. The question is, is are you getting out of it enough? So, yes. To just to your point about not every team has the room, you can make the room. Yep. We've seen that is a possibility. So again, it does keep that pool open. I'm sorry, I cut you off. No, no, I, I just want to say like again, we the long kind of story to our, our rant for the last 45 minutes is um, it's it's well well too early to get on Verbeek and say he's a fraud or whatever. Da da da. Like the Ducks are not in a spot to do this. I get it. You're impatient. The Ducks have been bad. Everybody wants them to be good again and win, but it takes time. And the top teams in the league are proof that it does, that it takes time to win. 
especially the most recent Stanley Cup champions, where you have McKinnon, you have Landis Cog, you have Eric Johnson coming on after winning, talking about, man, it was a tough four, five, six years here in the beginning, but it's all worth it now. Colorado built that way. Landis Cog drafted. McKinnon drafted. Rontanen drafted. Eric Johnson draft. No, traded, traded. for. He traded early the, on. Uh, he was uh, St. Louis drafted him, yeah. yeah. McCarr drafted. Mm-hmm. Right? Byron drafted. Then all of a sudden, okay, what do we need? Okay, we need a second line center. Kadri. At the point where they get to the next level, Kadri traded for. Devin Taves traded for. Burakovsky signed. Nikushkin signed. Like Sam Gerard yeah. was a sell. They sold Matt Duchesne mm-hmm. to get Sam Gerard. Yeah. So the guy who was instrumental to this team having a successful season, because let's be clear, Kale McCarr was injured this season. And a big part of why they were able to get through that, aside from the team being incredibly talented, incredibly well coached, is that they had someone who, while not Kale McCarr because nobody is, Sam Gerard was able to step up and still be able to fill that role for them, right? Mm-hmm. To give them 85, 90% of whatever it is, the craziness that Kale McCarr gives you every night. Yep. They got him by getting rid of a dude who's good. He was really good at the time. Yeah. The whole, like, there was a debate at the time. The it's Duchesne. like McKinnon, Duchesne. Do, who do you get yeah. rid of? Who do you keep? And they kept, obviously, they kept the right guy. They kept McKinnon. But there was a legitimate debate at the time. Do you keep Matt Duchesne? Do you keep Nathan McKinnon? And they kept Nathan McKinnon and it worked out for them. But my whole point is, like, there was a core there. There was a core of Landis Cog. There was a core of, of McKinnon and, and uh, Sam Gerrard and those guys to build around. Okay, we have enough. We drafted McCarr. It hit. We have enough to build around. Now we can go out and add the guys we were talking about earlier. Now is the time to add a Kadri, to go out and add a, you know, a Burkowski and a Shushkin and all these guys to Devin Taves to your roster and fill it out to sign a Kemper, right? Like, it made sense then to go out and fill those needs because you had the core in place and now you know what you need to supplement them because it was at that time where McKinnon was a top player in the NHL. Landis Cog was a top player in the NHL. McCarr was one of the best defensemen in the league or the best young defensemen in the league. You had done everything and drafted the core that you needed. The Ducks aren't there yet. They're a couple of years away potentially from being there if everything hits. If Drysdale develops into you know the way he's going, if Zegris does, if Terry continues on, if McTavish steps in, now you've got that core two or three years down the road if they prove it. Then you can start doing what those teams do and adding in free agency and adding through trades and trading some of the younger assets and draft capital that aren't there yet to go out and get those players that you need. We're just not there yet. But anyway, free agency, upcoming Wednesday. we we got to get into that. Uh, As we've mentioned already, the Ducks have $39 million in cap space. 18 of it, which they need to fill to at least reach the cap floor of $61 million. They have RFAs and UFAs. The RFAs are Lindstrom, Milano, Steele, Vakaninen, Benoit Larson. The UFAs are Aston Reese, Letary, Mayhew, Simone, Suster, Robinson, Pattern. Gooley would have been one of the RFAs. He signed in Germany, so he's out the door. Um, so some chance to recoup some of that back. We had the projected contracts down uh, from Evolving Hockey, they've got a great contract projection tool, uh, which seems to be pretty accurate. I mean, sometimes it's way off, just depends, as is the case with, with teams signing contracts. But they've got Lindstrom at a 3 by basically 3 by 2.3 Milano at a 3 by 2.7 Steele, this one I think, I don't I don't know how he's up at this side, but Steele is 2, two by 1.7 There's absolutely no chance this guy makes more than Troy Terry and, and Max Jones next year. 
Um, Vakanainen at a one by nine hundred K. Benoit at two by eight forty. Larson at a basically one by one mil. And the UFAs were Aston Reese at three by one point eight nine. And then a few um, kind of league minimum deals for Lettieri, Mayhew, Suster, Robinson, Pattern, and Simone was three by one point three. Not all those guys are going to get resigned. I think if you at least look at the RFAs, you're looking at potentially five million there. The UFAs, you bring a couple of them back, you're looking at around maybe two, three, so probably seven to eight million dollars between the RFAs and the UFAs that are going to add to that that cap space. So the Ducks are looking probably ten to twelve million dollars outside of the signing of their RFAs and UFAs that they need to get to that cap floor, which is not as significant as the $20 million that we were looking at kind of going into everything. No, I I mean, yeah, no. They have... They, it's very easy for them to get to the floor. They can buy years up on some of their younger players if they want. Um, and they, like I said, like we said before, there's still plenty of players that are going to be available for trade in the time between the draft and free agency as teams because there's a lot of teams uh, that didn't do that didn't get maybe the guys that they wanted to at the draft they didn't make certain trades that they were maybe hoping to they're now going to be looking to address those things in free agency so anaheim is going to be able to go out there and be able to still offer you know fucking 40 million dollars worth of cap space for people to come in and take advantage of and you know, this is also while considering that Anaheim has, at the very least, two players who probably. Wait. How many years does Rico have left? Two. Two. Yeah. Okay, so not quite. I was him so and Silverberg the... both have two left. Okay, so the, I was thinking of him and Shattenkirk, but Shattenkirk probably isn't on this team at the end of the season. Yeah. He probably gets retained and moved. Now, maybe him and Pat Verbeek have a conversation, and he, they're more than happy to you know keep it together and see what goes on. But I don't see that happening without there being an extension. Yeah. Um, so more than likely, I would imagine Shattenkirk is gone. If they want to retain on Rico, if they theoretically, I, Silverberg, I'm not even going to entertain. He's going to be a duck until his contract is up. It doesn't yeah. make any sense for anything else. Yeah. Um, you know, but they've got players that are attractive, right? They've got Max Comtois, who could be a player that's attractive. As much as I don't ever want it to happen, they have Max Jones, who's a player that could be attractive to it team like philadelphia right who mm-hmm. likes that type of player who likes that type of competitiveness and who i would imagine uh john tortorella would love um like he he might play 50 minutes a night under john tortorella so you know uh there's going to be a lot of opportunities for anaheim just to go out there i think i think for me the thing with this this ufa kind of this free agency period. I almost wonder if Anaheim just starts calling agents and being like, Hey, you've got this guy. We're interested in this for one or two year deals or whatever. That's what we're willing to offer you. If you want to go look for other stuff, let it go for it. But just so you know, this is what we're willing to offer and we'll be here. That to me makes the most sense because I could see there being a little bit of musical chairs and more than a couple of decent to above average free agents being without somewhere to go. And they come and sign an Anaheim, you know, maybe they sign a short like one or two year deal and or they sign the Taylor Hall deal, right? Yeah. Uh, with Buffalo. And they're just like, okay, well, I'll get traded at the line, we'll go from there. Okay. That there's more to that's that's a perfectly reasonable way for them to work through this for agency. They yes, they have to spend X amount of money to get to the cap floor. 
they do not have to spend $40 million. No. So it isn't going to be altogether that difficult, in my opinion, for them to get to the floor. Yeah. 10 to $12 million, like we said, likely, that can get eaten up pretty fast. Uh, we've got a bunch of targets to look at uh, as we get into them. The one thing before we move on from our RFAs and UFAs, I want to just talk about some of the – I mean, really this the, the two – I guess the three bigger ones – for the RFAs, Lindstrom, Milano, and Steele. Do you think those are fair deals? Like Lindstrom, a three by basically 2.3? Yeah, I think that makes sense. I think if I'm Lindstrom, I'd look for two by two and a half maybe. Yeah. Um, a little bit shorter. You know, little yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and him and Steele did both take their, their qualifying offers last year, right, with the intent of, I mean, this is what, right, this year is a perfect example of the risk that they took. Isaac Lunderstrom did a pretty good job to get himself another contract. Sam Steele did a pretty good job to, you know, just I don't know how we got there with the Twins thing. They their models are incredibly accurate. I don't see a world like you said in which any Pat Verbeek is offering Sam Steele one point seven for two years when Sam Carrick yeah. didn't even get, you know, a full million a year and like impact wise like sam carrick's more impactful right now than mm-hmm. sam Steele is so i have a hard time thinking Steele would get that deal um the milano the milano one is the one i am fascinated with yeah could be anything i have no idea what that's going to be because i was if, surprised that it, it came in this low as um i know he didn't have a great was, great year but like at 2.7 i felt like it, it could have been above three is what they projected yeah, it almost feels like it could have been three or four years around three and a half, three point seven million. Like would have not been insane. And we've had this conversation with Sam Carrick. Like it, part of this is just, you know, we might need to uh, adjust our expectations for what deals look like now that Bob Murray isn't in charge. Because I think we both agreed if Bob Murray was still in charge, Sam Carrick probably gets one and a half for three years. Right? He gets that Derek Grant deal. Yep. Afrobeak's not fucking around, man. He's like, no, 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 I know exactly what you are, and we love you very much, and we'd love to have you, but please understand this is what we're paying you. Yeah. He is under no illusions about some of that stuff. Um, you know, and, and we just saw, like we talked about with the Ryan McDonough trade, like we just saw he came from, him and Julian Breesball both came from, you know, the Iserman kind of tree. Those guys are not sentimental. Um, you know, so they're not going to be giving out, you know, legacy contracts and shit like that. Um, so, you know, I think that they probably are going to have to trade for one or two guys, uh, you know, over the first, like, maybe, I don't know, three, four days of free agency, just because I imagine they're going to, that's when teams will be the most willing to give things up to move deals. Uh, now that the the draft is over and that yeah. part of it is done, um, so you know I think they probably have to add seven million, all things considered, in salary beyond just their RFAs uh, and a couple of the UFAs that they may want to keep. Yeah, but I, I don't think getting to the floor is going to be an issue for this team, and I think there is every reason to think that they will get there in an incredibly efficient way. Yeah. I think of all the RFAs, like the only one I'm confident 100%, like all these guys could be back in their RFAs, so they probably should. The only guy I'm 100% confident is going to be back is Lindstrom. I think Milano is, is like you said, the interesting case that he could be back, mm-hmm. but if he ends up asking for too much, like they'll hit him with a qualifying offer. He's not going to go to free agency, but there's a very real situation that if it's not working out, they trade his rights. Like I could see that happening as a potential 
move down the line if they just things don't work out. They have the cap space that if it is a one or two year deal, like if he's asking for a bit more, you settle an arbitration on a one year by whatever, and you just sign him and have him, and then maybe you flip him at the deadline. Like you know, mm-hmm. it's a flippable asset that's possible. Steal. There's I don't know, man. There's a chance they don't even qualify him if they aren't happy with it. Like we're at that point here. I think you should. But there is so, a very real chance that you you might not if you've just you're done with it, right? Like I, I could see it. That's the thing. Like I I can't see it with Lundstrom. I I there's part of me that could see it with Steele where they just say, Yep, that's it. We're not qualifying you. It's done. Here's my thing. Oh, I can't believe it. This is where we're at. That to me would be my least favorite phrase in the world, which is bad asset management. The calling off our the qualifying offer ensures that they – God, this feels so gross. I fucking hate this league. Uh, or just Pro Sports Park, but whatever. Um, they retain under team control. That's yeah. the least gross way to say it, uh, which means they either can accept that deal and play or not accept that deal and just sit until the next um, – RFA signing period starts up. Yeah, unless there was arbitration. Yeah. I can't remember. I don't think Steele had it, though. I think it's Milano who has arbitration rights. So. Let me look. I have our thing up right now. Uh, no, they all have arbitration. They all do? Okay. So then at some, point he would get, so, at some point he would get signed, yeah. So, yeah. But, you know, it would end up being, like you said, some kind of a one-year deal. Mm-hmm. There's nothing to lose by qualifying him, especially given they have $40 million in cap space. You know what I mean? Like this isn't yeah. like they're tied up against it and they're like, ah, oh, we don't want to take on two, you know, a million and a half, two million in cap it or whatever it is that it's going to be. But they can still trade him for a fifth or a sixth or a, another prospect, right? There's no reason they can't do a smith pelly Sakach yeah. trade. Yeah. So, I, you know, and, and we can talk about this with a couple of names that are on the, the, the UFA list, surprisingly. Chicago didn't um, uh, qualify Strom or Kubalik. Yeah, that's a complete Kubelik. dump for I them. I said it like you. I don't like that. Kubalik. Anyways, yeah, wow. Well, uh, maybe not throw stones on that one. Um, but, you know, they didn't qualify those guys. And I get that, you know, they're at a different point and they traded Kirby Dak. So clearly 26-year-old RFAs are not necessarily the most enticing thing. But it's they left money on the table. They could have gotten a fourth or something else for that player to yeah. go sign with somebody else. And that's the thing about it to me that doesn't make sense is you have nothing to lose. And I think... Uh, he goes by Knight Rider on Twitter. He's a Buffalo Sabres fan, the poor guy. But he made a comment about these two deals. He said, "I refer, you know, being a smart ass as everybody on Twitter is, he goes, I refer to these deals like bottles, which is you can, in the moment, justify them independently. It's per, you can find a reason why it makes sense. But over the course of time, they add up to uh, a significant lack or a lost value." In yep. one form or another, either you're letting players walk for nothing, or you're losing players in general, or you're selling low on guys, right? Like, or drafting for the floor. You know what I mean? Like, a, the when Boston took Trent Frederick, yeah, right. You're, they're drafting for the floor. That is the kind of stuff that prevents teams from being able to maximize their way to like maximize the, or I guess minimize the amount of time it takes for them to pull out of that rebuild. Because all you're getting is just more, dart, more darts to throw at the board. 
go for it, man. Go for it. Like, there's no reason, even if it is a seventh, a seventh is better than nothing. Take the seventh. Then you take that seventh, your, your seventh that year, and the seventh from the next year, and you trade them up, and you get a fifth. Okay, now you have a fifth. So now we're in Troy Terry territory, all that kind of shit. Yeah. I, you know. It's just the premise, like you said, that something is better than nothing at that point. Like, it's a lost you, opportunity. You could have got something for Strom and, and Kubelik, like, yeah, but you got nothing. And it's like at that point, like, you know, does getting a fourth and a fifth make you feel that much better? No. But at least knowing you got something for guys that you had control of and you just gave it up because you didn't want to, you weren't bothered or you just wanted, I mean, they're clearly tanking. Um, and you just wanted to just say, okay, we're sending him out the door and that's that. It it does add up over time. And like you said, I hate saying bad asset management, but it it, it, it does account to that over some this time that you did that. This is the part of that where that is very real. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, you know, I don't want to. Well, be like dude, Chicago again, where you're at and trading Kirby Doc and trading Alex Dabrinka, like as a team that's rebuilding, you traded a 21 year old former third overall pick who's only had a couple years in the league, and you traded 24 year old 30 to 40 goal scorer Alex Dabrinka. Like that's you know, it, it, it's not all adding up where with what Chicago is doing right now but I'm happy I'm I'm happy to see them struggling and not and not making the smartest of moves. Um honestly of all the UFAs the Ducks have uh I think Letary is probably the most likely to come back for sure as like an in-betweener like he has been as long as he's still okay with that role Mayhew might be the same. The rest of them yeah. I I don't Jerry, know. Jerry Sure. No, like I, I, I think of the of the, all of them, I, I'd rather have those two back at the kind of league minimum deals that we've quoted here. Ashton Reese, I like. Um, I, yeah, don't, yeah. I don't know if he'd want to come back, or you know, there's going to be a lot of teams that call on him. Pittsburgh might call on him to come back. I can he, see it. So he is a perfect candidate for a one year deal to me. Mm-hmm. One year, two million dollars. We're going to have a conversation as the year goes on, see how this team is doing, but at the deadline we both understand that you're going to need a change of address. Yeah. You know what I mean? Something like just because like, you know, it's the best opportunity for both of them. Aston Reeves gets, you know, another year of salary. He gets another year of guaranteed money, um, you know, because this is his job, right? So there's that part of it that the financial part of it can't be diminished, but it also still gives him the, the flexibility and the opportunity moving forward to maybe turn a run into another contract he didn't get that this year. He came the other direction in that trade, right? Where he was sent it out of the playoffs. Well, now he can sign Lanheim, go trade into the playoffs, hopefully get on a team, go on a deep run, and make himself some money next summer. You know, to me, he's the guy that I think um, I, I would love to see him back. I want Mayhew back for no other reason than I like him, and I hope uh, Pattern is nowhere near this team. Yeah, I think Powder and Schuster are gone. Robinson, again, he'd be the same as Letary and Mayhew is in between. Um, Simone and Aston Reese are interesting because if you sign them, they're sticking their NHL roster, right? Like you're mm-hmm. playing them. So those are the only two free agents I, ha- I think we have that are UFAs that you would say, if we sign them, they're signing them to play at the NHL level. You can't really sign them and say, okay, we signed you for $1.3 million, but you're going down to San Diego. Like it, It's possible in the season if they don't play well, it could happen, but you're signing them with the intent to play them and I think only one of them would and I'd rather Aston Reese but uh, I, I, there's a, I think there is a likely scenario that none of them come back uh, if they get better offers from mm-hmm. competitive teams because they did well in Pittsburgh they're good defensive forwards there's a lot of teams who are looking for these types of guys and I think Aston Reese definitely uh, is a guy who likes to uh, throw the body around as well 
that uh, he checks a lot of boxes for some kind of competitive team, so I could see him go. But, um, all right, targets. And I want to give a shout-out to everybody who uh, filled out our fan submissions of, of what kind of moves you'd like to see, trades or free agents. we got a lot on Facebook, Twitter, and Reddit, so that that helped uh, kind of fill John out. John Moore is uh, still on this team. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know, but hey, Sorry, I'm just looking at cap relief. It'll be cap relief later, but we got a lot of submissions, a lot of names I didn't expect to see. So this helped fill out kind of our, I I, I say targets. They're not people I I think that we think they will get. It's just suggestions from from you guys who and submissions on who yeah, you'd yeah. like the Ducks to see, and then kind of targets that we think could be re- realistic and ways to get to the cap through free agency. So we we have our trade targets that we'll get to after, but. These are the names. We'll start with the forwards because there's a lot more of them than the defenders. Um, we'll put Kubelik in this because I had him in the trades, but then he was uh, listed as, as not being qualified. So him and Strom, Dylan Strom from Chicago, enter this list. We've got Andre. Yeah. Both Stroms. Get them both. Yeah, Let's I sign know. the brothers. Yeah, R- Ryan Strom is on this list. Andre Barakovsky, Andrew Kopp, Valerie Nachuskin, Nino Niederreiter, Andre Palat, Mason Marchment, Evan Rodriguez, Max Domi, Ilya Mikheyev, Nick Delore, of course, and Colin White were the uh, the names that got shouts from a lot of you guys. And I, I combed through some of the free agents I could see realistically potentially being Anaheim, having interest in or being interested in coming to Anaheim and added to this. So let's start with the Chicago duo, Dylan Strom, who the Ducks have been linked to for like the last four years, and Kubelik, who the Ducks were linked to at the deadline. Um, it's two guys who are, I would say, of all of them, maybe the most likely to come to Anaheim just because of the, the past links they've had and potentially come to Anaheim in trades. Profile roughly the same in the sense that Dylan Strom is kind of an all-offense play driver, defensively not the greatest, a bit of a liability, can play center, can play wing. He's a big kid at 6'3", but doesn't really look or play like he's 6'3". But he, you know, you could see where he would fit in a Ducks lineup. Whether it's you know second line center, if things don't pan out with Mason McTavish, he could be a third line center. Could move to the wing and play up in the lineup with somebody like Trevor Zegras. And you know, from a guy who played with DeBrinket and Kane, there could be a benefit of playing with the Zegras and Terry and getting the most out of him. And he hasn't been bad. The offensive production has been there. You know, on a fifty point pace last year, at a real, real good second half to the season, and then. Kubalik, who had a really great first year in the NHL and just kind of hasn't gotten back to that level since, but the Blackhawks have steadily gone downhill since he right. joined the team, so there could be something there, and a bit of a bigger power forward type guy shot first, but again, everything else there's there's some issues with there, but Strom, you're looking at uh, as Evolving Hockey said, 3 by 4.6 basically, and Kubalik was a 3 by 3.25 uh, if they were to sign with different teams. So at three years, I'm fine with either of them. Probably not both, but one or the other. Uh, personally, I'd prefer Strom. But what are your thoughts on those two guys? Yeah, I think, um, you know, both of them are fine. I think Strom, just because he plays center, he's a little bit more versatile. He gives you a, you know, a, a C, C-plus version of Henrique, right? Mm-hmm. Um you know, not going to have the, the defensive acumen, but he does maybe have a little bit more offensive pop potential to him yep. as far as being able to finish. Um, you know, but he's he's fine. Like you said, he could be a second-line center if McTavish, you know, doesn't stick in the league this year or moves to the wing or slides down the lineup, right? You know, but he could just as easily play on the wing with someone like Lundestrom to give that a little bit more offensive pop to it. Um 
I, I think Kubalik, Kubalik's goal scoring track record, I think, is a little bit better. Uh, yeah. As far as like, the, like you said, he had that one real, real good season. Um, but I don't know that these are guys I would necessarily be all together that excited to go three years on. I think Strom, like you said, I, I I could be okay with three years for him. Kubalik, I would prefer to keep it to one or two, and even two, I don't know about. I would much rather help these guys get show me deals um, than bridge deals. So I think they're both candidates for that kind of thing, right? Where they sign a one-year, $4 million deal or some shit. And then it's just understood that there's going to be an extension or you're going to get traded. Yeah. And it's going to depend on how you fit in here, but also where this team is at when that time comes. You know, because like we've seen with Josh Manson, there's no – or like we've heard with the rumors about Josh Manson, there's no reason that these players can't come back. We already have proof of concept that with that with Derek Grant after trading him to Philly. Um you know, so I think it makes sense. I don't know that either of them are guys that I'm particularly excited about, but I also don't think Anaheim, as we've said, is in a position to add guys that I'm going to be super excited about. Yeah. So they're fine. I think they're just fine. They're totally fine players. Yep. And adding them makes sense. I would be a little bit nervous about term. Um, I wouldn't do anything more than three, and even like you said, three is a little bit concerning at that point. Yeah. And, you know, maybe that third year is how you get those guys to come and maybe you structure it in a way that you're fine with it or the salary drops down over time or something like that. But, you know, I uh, I, I would much rather be fine with one and two year deals than three for those guys, especially. Yeah. And I think the thing with these guys, too, is is the late addition to the free agent pool. It changes a lot of teams plans. There's going to be a lot of teams. I think they'll look at Dylan Strom as like, OK, like he was pretty good in Chicago, former third overall pick. What can, we, can, what can we get out of him, and can we sign him, like you said, to maybe a one-year show-me deal, because he'd probably be the perfect candidate for that, coming out of Chicago, kind of throwing out the door to say, okay, show me what you can do, and then he could potentially make a ton of money. I think for Dylan Strom, there's probably an incentive to go to a very good team, and again, and play with very good players, because that's where he had his best success, playing with Kane and Dabrinkin and centering that line, and I'm sure he wants to be a center, too, and there's going to be a lot of teams out there who are willing to give him that. I don't think Anaheim necessarily can guarantee him uh, a spot at center uh, and have enough kind of enticing wingers for him to play with for for him to want to stick around. I think the more realistic one is probably Dominic Kubelik. I think the interest in him will be a little bit less than Strom and there's uh, you know projectability for him to play high up in the lineup on the left wing with the Ducks you know potentially with Zegers and Terry for to put him with two playmakers and say hey can you get back to that 30 goal season you had in your first year so I would I would be okay with him. I think he fits the Ducks lineup better. I, I think the upside of Strom is what again entices me a little bit to him because of the pedigree he's had in the past. But uh, those are those are kind of the the two I would say just more likely in the sense that the Ducks have been linked with them in the past. When we look at uh, the the higher profile names, the longer term projected contracts, four of these guys were projected to have seven year deals. Burakovsky at a seven by six point nine. Ryan Strom at a seven by seven point one five. That was a lot. I did not expect that. Nachushkin at a seven by six point four, and Niederreiter at a seven by five point seven two five. I'm not sure all of them get seven year deals, but they're going to get term. I would think. Yeah, I could see them getting four or five. If anybody gets seven, I think it is going to be Nachushkin and Burakovsky. Yep. Uh, I can see Strom potentially getting seven too, but it would be tough. What are you giving him? But like, yeah, I get. But like, he's you know, I don't know, man. He's twenty eight, and 
I don't know that he covered himself in glory the way the other two did in the playoffs. I, I think he's got a harder road to hoe, and he's certainly not getting seven years at that number. No, not a chance. No he had the highest cap hit of all the guys we listed, and I don't understand how he was at 7.15 over Burakovsky in the true skin. What would, you, what would you be comfortable giving Ryan Strong if you're Anna? Let's say he wants three years minimum. Yeah, I, I mean five, five and a half. I don't like giving anybody over six at this point. I really don't, and and like you, you know, there's a there's a world where he probably deserves it, uh, but man, like none of these guys on this list, I'm comfortable giving a lot of money for a long period of time. It just doesn't make sense. There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed, and that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash sports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash sports. That's Indeed.com slash sports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash sports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, no, I agree. I think um, I think Niederreiter, from an upside perspective, is a really interesting choice. Um, you know, he's he can play both wings. He would be a really nice player to have on like the second power play unit or something like that. Um, you know, Burakovsky doesn't make a lot of sense to me because I don't know who he's playing with to get the most out of him. Like maybe yeah, he's next to uh, Zegers, but I I just don't know that Burakovsky's a guy you want to give seven years to if you're in. I mean, look, I think the fundamental problem with these four guys is they're at the point in their career where they want seven-year deals and they should absolutely want them. And it doesn't make sense for Anaheim to give anybody a seven-year deal short of kids on ELCs right now. You know what I mean? So as far as that's all concerned, it just doesn't make sense. I mean, again, these are like perfect candidates to me for – Hey, just so you know, we'll give you two by five, you know, three by four and a half, some shit like that. You know, go see what's out there and, you know, come back to us if, if you know, you don't like what's out there and you want to do something else. Like these are candidates for, you know, the music stops and somebody doesn't have a chair to me. Yep. Um, a lot less than making sure you go out and get a guy on that first day of free agency. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we all know you're going to overpay and these guys will get could get close to this if you know uh, to these projected deals just because free agency is crazy and these are some of the top names because there are going to be teams who miss out on Goodrow and this is next this is what's it like I think Goodrow was really uh, Goodrow and Malkin I think were the only two I didn't list on here as mm-hmm. uh, as top targets for free agency and once those guys go somebody's going to pay a lot for Burakovsky I think Colorado is trying to bring back Nachuskin so that that might get done before we even make it to to free agency, Strom will be one of the better centers available. You know him and Trocheck um, outside of Malkin, so their price will be high. Uh, you know, you go a little bit down the list, you get into maybe the the more considerable ones, the ones you could see potentially Anaheim going after. The guys further down on other teams' lists is that 
the Anaheim could offer a little bit more money too on a shorter term, and that might be enticing for them in a higher place in the lineup rather than a middle six role. Uh, you look at guys like Mason Marchmid, Evan Rodriguez, Ilya Mikheyev, Max Domi to some extent as well. Um, mm-hmm. Marchman had a, a three by two point four five, which I thought was fairly low considering the year he had, but it is just the one year. Evan Rodriguez basically had a three point three. Max Domi had almost a four by four point five. Mikheyev was at a six by five. I don't know where that came from. I, yeah. <laughs> that one, that one felt. Uh, there's no way he gets anywhere near that. Um, so I think he probably lands closer to the three by three point five, three by four range rather than that. But those are the guys you could potentially see. Right, like not the high profile ones, guys you could still, you know, in Anaheim get potentially top six minutes, which is more enticing than middle six minutes for some on a uh, on a better team. And they're shorter term deals, the three year, four year deals where you're not looking at the five, six, seven year deals that are gonna hurt you way down the road. Yeah, I you know, I, I think you know, they're all interesting guys, I think. Let me ask you this. Edward, which of those guys would you be the most interested in bringing into the team? Mason Marchman. Evan Rodriguez really? is close. I like both of them. But, I mean, if you can get Mason Marchman at 3 by 2.45, that's never going to hurt you. It's flippable. He had a great year. Uh, did play, obviously, with Barkov and, uh, for most of the year. But I, I, we talked about him in our um, roster projection show where I looked mm-hmm. at potential uh, additions to the Ducks, I think, Top line left wing, I think, was the the one we were looking at uh, as a good fit. So yeah, I, I think he'd be he'd be the easiest one to project where he'd go. I do like Evan Rodriguez though, as as had a good year in Pittsburgh, playing third line center minutes for a while. I know he got jumped up with the top line where guys were hurt, uh, but can play on the wing. And and again, you know, the three point three. Was on my list when we did the roster projection. Yeah, so I mean, it's two two easy favorites for us to pick because they're guys we liked in the past. But you can see where right. they would play. They're not, you know, the projections they have here at three by two point five, three by three is not going to kill you, and they are flippable. Where, you know, maybe you, you bring that down to two, um, two years, you give it a little bit more money, and then even at the deadline this upcoming year, you can eat some, you know, retain some of that and flip them out for two years, or you go through this year with them and you trade them as, as flippable assets at the end of uh, of the next season past this one. So I, yeah, I think those two are, are kind of the ideal options, the good options for Anaheim that could want to come here too. I think uh, so. This goes against, to a certain extent, pretty much everything else I've said already. But I think the guy I would be the most interested in would be Andre Pilat. Yeah, everything about the way that he played this playoffs, the way that he's played for you know Tampa Bay for the Experience, last know, right. eight or nine years, as, exactly combined with. The experience that he has, the um, you know the, the 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 rooms that he's been in, like he's been on these teams that have had these incredible highs. Like he was on the team that got swept by Columbus. Mm-hmm. That's he's a guy been on I'm, some bad I'm, years, and he's been in. I would love to bring a guy like that in to be a complimentary top six player for a young developing center. Yeah, you know, um, I don't know what the deal would look like, but if him and Verbeek have a good relationship he would be one of those guys where i would be fine with giving like a five-year deal to like i think it would be it would be very risky and it would require some very methodical salary cap planning down the line as far as with certain players 
uh, that would need to be extended in that window and things like that. But he is the type of player that I think what he would bring to a team like Anaheim, uh, and specifically such a young team, I think could be worth taking that risk if you want to bring in a guy who's just like, has earned a payday, right? Like if you said the two big free agents and whatever, it's me, nobody gives a shit. If the two big free agents are Pollot and Manson, that's a great offseason to me. Mm-hmm. I would sign both of those guys to four or five-year deals tomorrow. I really would. Yeah. I would have no real problem with it, depending on what the money was, you know what I mean, what the conditions of maybe trade protection and things like that were. Um, I, I don't think I'd have an issue with that. I think those are two guys who could come in, who could fill a leadership role, who play a style of game uh, that you can play them with anybody. You know what I mean? I think Manson would be a great guy to bring up Zellweger with if you think he's ready. Yeah. And, and um, you you could see their fit. I think the good thing about both those guys, and, and when we're talking about the forwards with Palat, of all the guys we've mentioned here, you know what you're going to get, and you're going to get it from Palat, right? Yeah. Like, And then all the intangibles that come with it, the hard times he was with Tampa Bay early when they weren't good to becoming a, a good team and then getting swept by Columbus and then winning cups and getting to finals and losing in finals. And, like, there's there's all that mm-hmm. with that. That even, you know, now he comes into Anaheim as a top six forward because of just the depth that the Ducks have isn't that great. Right, the reality of the roster. But if you don't pay him too much, two, three, four years down the road, when he's a bit older, 34, 35, mm-hmm. I still think he'll be a valuable player because of the way he plays. Maybe not at the, the money you're giving him, but you can make it you can make it make sense. Becomes a good middle six player, right? Yeah, doesn't absolutely. necessarily play the top line anymore, but he's a good complimentary piece, and he's been there and done that. He's a guy you want to have around. He's a veteran on the team at that point. It makes sense to have him there versus, like, yeah, we like Marchman and Rodriguez, but what are you getting there? You right. know, are you getting them at their best? Are you getting what they were before this great season? You're not paying them that much, but we're talking about the chance to flip them later if it doesn't pan out. You're not thinking that necessarily with Palat. You're thinking, okay, we're going to sign, and we know what we're going to get with him, and there's potential upside value of him being a part of this roster when the Ducks are good. I like those moves, and I'm willing to give term to those moves of those guys that you can see, you know, when the, maybe the best times are gone, that there's still a place for them on this team. I, I like that. I like those signings because those are the one long-term ones that make sense. Giving Burakovsky seven years doesn't make sense because I don't know what he is yet necessarily, right? Like, I still have my reservations about him. I have my reservations about Strom and all those other guys, Nechuskin even, right, that – Four years down the road, does this look like crap? With Palat, three, four years down the road, I think I'm still comfortable because you have that track record of this is a guy who's going to put up 40, 45 points in a season. If you make the playoffs, he's going to you know do the hard work for you. He's going to play the right way. He's been in, in these tough situations before, so I, I I would love it. I you know He's projected at 3 by 5.5. That deal I'd be fine giving. Yeah, I mean, that takes the worst years off of the Henrique contract. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I, I wouldn't have any issue with that contract. But like I said, I would give him and Manson both four or five years tomorrow. It really, again, with all the conditions about salary cap hit and, and, and trade protection and things like that. But I really, yeah. I think both of those guys, like you said, even if their play um, declines as those contract goes on, I think they will still be meaningful um members of this team in depth roles as far as leadership, as far as tough minutes, as far as experience, different things like that. Yeah, five uh, five would be the max I'd give Palak because I would put him at 36 in the last year of his deal. Four would be 
I'd be okay with it. Three would probably be the ideal mark. Maybe even four is the ideal mark because I think I, I can make that make sense in my head. Five is the, the, the limit. I don't think he even mm-hmm. gets more than five. I don't think any team is willing to give him more um, than five years. But nothing more, I think, than the 5.5. Um, I think he's worth around five to five point five. His, like you said, the playoffs he had the twenty one points, twenty three games. That's gonna put him up to the two cups. That's gonna put him up there on a lot of people's list. But despite all that success, um, he's a guy. You know, normally when you see that from a player, you think there's absolutely no way he'd come to Anaheim. I could see it. I, I, I could see it. That chance to work with a young team again, get a, you know, for him to go into a situation like he was in Tampa and be highly regarded and be a top six player. Right. Uh, and get maybe an extra year in Anaheim than he would somewhere else, uh, and maybe maybe a better it, salary too. Like there's 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 enticing things for him at the stage he is in his career to go to a team like Anaheim that's on the up. Yeah, I mean, there like, the reality of it is is there's kind of a, a Lamarillo aspect to it where you're getting guys that the GM or Pollot specifically would be bringing in a guy that the GM has a pre-existing relationship with, right? Mm-hmm. That would be the thing with Palat. It'd be, hey, you've been to four finals. You've won two cups. Um, you had a legitimate argument for being a Conn Smythe uh, this last year. Like, you've got nothing left to prove. Why don't you come over here, come live at the beach? You know what I mean? Make some good money. Have some fun. We're going to try to push for the playoffs every year as far as what we are, the level of play we're asking of our players we know this is going to be a long process, but what'd you think about it? Same thing with Josh Manson. Hey, you've been here. You just won your cup. We'd love to give you a little bit more money. Maybe now that, you know, you have that thing that everybody wants, you can take a little bit less, you know, as far as um, not getting that big kind of free agent contract that maybe he would have been hoping for as far as like a $5 million a year deal or something like that. Um, You know, I think uh, both of them, just make a lot of sense and, and I think they are the kinds of players like you said that while traditionally Anaheim has had a hard time getting they have just had the last couple of years in a very specific way that might actually predispose them to getting here right because Manson's mm-hmm. coming back so that almost feels like cheating but with Pilat, he he's done everything now mm-hmm. and at this point it's how do you feel about <laughs> moving to a less humid beach you know yeah. what I mean? Like, and and a, again, where you can still be an important player. Like the thing for Palat is, how many teams that are very competitive can he go to and still retain that top six role for sure? Right, like that. That's the tough Ken thing Holland because is trying to give him so much money right now. Because he's, you know, the 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 numbers, the straight numbers of it. He's a forty to forty five point winger, right? Now he does a lot of other things well too, but I don't know how many teams that are great he immediately jumps into their top six necessarily. Now there are obviously going to be teams out there who value him very highly for what he's done for good reason, but you know that in Anaheim he's going to do that. Like there's the path; it's right there. He's going to be a top. He he'll be a top six winger in Anaheim if he comes here. Then there's the you know can they offer him the extra year that a team wouldn't be getting? Can they offer him a little bit more money because of the cap space they have? Or maybe some signing one. bonus money, you know that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah, exactly. So I think there are some things there, and again, like you said, like the the destination of it that's still enticing. You know, is again, Anaheim isn't the best team in the best location to go, but there is something like that. You don't necessarily have to change your way of life coming from Tampa to, to Anaheim. It's right. uh, you're not going up to to Winnipeg or something like that. So I, I could see it. Like, um, I, like you said, I think if you come out of free agency with Palat and Manson as your two big signings, it's fine. And and again, the thing I like about it is the projectability that down the road it's 
it's not going to, you know, you're not going to hate it necessarily. There's a better chance that you're not going to hate that deal versus some of the other ones here. Um, okay, a couple of the Fords we have left. You know he had to make the list because he probably had the most shouts of anybody uh, to get to come back was Nick Deloria. Projected at a, a <laughs> basically a 3 by 1.5. And then uh, a few shots for Colin White, recently not qualified. I don't know, bought out by bought the out, Ottawa yeah. Senators. Evolving uh, Hockey didn't have a projection yet on what he would get. His old deal was 4.75. There's absolutely no chance he's going to make anywhere near that. You can see around a two and a half, three to $3.5 million deal for him. Uh, you know what, Des, I'm okay, I'm okay with. I know I, you know, I get it. The intangible side of thing, I'm fine with bringing him back. Everybody thought because I wanted him gone that I was, I hated him. It was the same thing with Josh Manson. I would love to bring Josh Manson back now. It doesn't mean I didn't want him traded when he was here because they got something for him. Bring him back. You know what? If you and and I can see a role for for Delory as well on this team if you bring him back. So I'm fine. And again, three point one point five is not going to hurt you. And maybe he doesn't play every night, but he has a role that you can see. You know why you'd want him on the team. So, I'm I'm fine. Even if he was part of that, if it was Des Palat and Manson, you bring back sure, whatever. Like it's not going to kill you, and you can flip him. Somebody's always going to want a player like him down the road. We saw it. Minnesota really wanted him. Gave a third round pick for him. If you have to flip him again down the road, then yeah, you know what? That's fine. Yeah, I um, I gotta be honest. I'm super pissed at Pierre Dorian right now for putting together a good contract. So one of the so for example. Uh, after Shattenkirk was bought out in the Rangers, he was able to take less money to go to Tampa Bay because he had that money already coming in from the Rangers. So I went to look at what the buyout looks like for uh, Colin White, and he makes eight seven five eight hundred and seventy five thousand dollars a year until twenty seven twenty eight. Uh, on his buyout because he was under what is it 30 so he got the one-third instead of the two-third and there was no signing bonus money so there was no uh, hard amount of money that they had to make sure he still got Um, so Colin White would be an interesting one you know I mean still being able to knock off $900,000 off whatever the cap hit he's asking for especially after it being such a uh, unceremonious exit Uh, and him you know being a player you would kind of think would fit the timeline of where uh ottawa is right now um yeah he's only 25 um so you know i think uh i think he's a really interesting one he's a real uh low risk medium-ish reward kind of guy um you know he's someone that i I certainly would think would be an an interesting get on a one or two year deal just to see uh you know what he has you know, uh, the other as far as Delorier, like, um, we don't need to do that. You know how I feel about him. I love him. I have no problem bringing him back. It's another thing where I don't know that I would give him more than three years just because he's Nick Delorier. I don't know that I would pay him more than one, two, one, three a year if, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. three by 3.6, you know what I mean? A three-year three deal worth $3.6 million, right, where it takes him about $1.2 million a year. Like, I think that would be perfectly fine. Um that's the kind of stuff for me that, like, yeah, man, I have no problem bringing him in. He's going to fill a role that nobody else on the team is going to fill, as we talked about when we did the roster projection thing. Yeah. If you want to not bring him back because you think Hunter Drew is going to be able to step into that role next season, um, or you're going to bring back someone like Josh Manson who can help provide a little bit more of that physicality, or even Mason McTavish, who, again, 
plays a very physical, heavy style. Um, I, I think that's all justifiable. You know what I mean? I, I think there's just as many reasons to bring him back as there is to not pick the phone up. And I don't think he makes a difference in any way other than the locker room. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? Like the on-ice stuff is what it is, and I, I do think there's value there. But more than anything, what you do is you're bringing him in there to – you know, just be a guy everybody likes because it's going to be a long year, and it's nice to have people guys like. Yep. Yeah, you're not paying up a ton of money anyway. So, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I'm fine with there. There surprisingly, or maybe not so surprisingly, will be a lot of interest in Nick Delorier free agency because he is one of kind of the only types of players like that that is available. So I don't think Anaheim will be the only team that will be calling him. Uh, all right, defenseman, we we briefed it. Josh Manson, obviously on the list. Um, so I was a bit torn because I'm not sure how they're model works because technically he's listed as partially an Anaheim Ducks player and there's part of the the system where you could do if they sign with the same team or the different team Mm -hmm. so I chose different team his contract was projected at four by four basically it's 4.049 million if you chose same team which I think Anaheim was also listed was four by 3.9 so not a big difference 100k so let's just put them at four by four and and split the difference is what uh, they're projecting it as Justin Schultz, I put on this list that was as, a fun one. as well. He's listed at a two by two point seven five. Jan Ruta a three by two point four. There was a couple of shouts for him from our fan submissions. Colin Miller at a one by one point seven five. Been linked with the Ducks in the past. Yeah, I threw this one in there as um, he's uh, Group Ten or Group Six uh, UFA qualifier. Sammy Niku is going to be a UFA. Um, he's listed as basically a league minimum one by seven hundred and fifty k. Former highly touted prospect in Winnipeg was in Montreal last year. If you lose Larson, if you lose Gooley, those guys, maybe a guy you could sign playing San Diego and come up every now and then during the year. Mm-hmm. So I, th- I threw him on there. We don't really have to talk about him too much. The big ones are mostly Manson and Schultz. A little shout to Ruta and, and Miller. But we've talked Manson. I'd, I'd love to have him back. Uh, I'm glad we got something for him when we traded him instead of losing him for nothing or signing him to a ridiculous long term extension at the time. I do. I don't think that Verbeek's stance has changed. The term is still an issue, as it was with Lindholm, as it was apparently with Manson. I I don't think they would give these guys more than four, even at four. I'm like, uh, I'd rather three, but um, I think f- you can stomach four to some sense. But anything uh, anything longer than four is no, that's not happening. Yeah, and, and sorry re- regarding the chat there. Somebody said Gouli signed in Europe. Yeah, he signed in in uh, the DEL in Germany, so he's not coming back. Yeah, I, you know, I mean, Justin Schultz is fine. He's a, I, I mean, I don't know. I, Justin Schultz doesn't really make a ton of sense to me unless they trade Shattenkirk before signing him. Yeah. Um, you know, other than that, um, I'm trying to remember if Jan Ruda is a righty or a lefty. He's a lefty, I believe. Okay. I um, have to check, but... Uh, I'm going to look right here. Um, but yeah, like, you know, I, the thing with any of these guys is I, Oh, he's a righty. Sorry. He's a righty. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, like, um, Jan Ruda or even Josh Manson or Justin Schultz, like the thing with bringing them in is how hard does that make it for Hellison to make mm-hmm. the opening night roster? Right. Yeah. If you're going to you run know, three I, righties, three lefties, you've already got Drysdale, Shattenkirk, right? So, Yeah. You know, so I, you know, I, you know, and maybe it says the seventh guy, right? And he gets into games, or you know, maybe they do kind of what they did with Mahura and Benoit with him and whoever. Like I, I could totally see it. I have no issue with any of that. Um, 
you know, but I, I do want to think, I think the one thing I would like with any of these free agent signings and maybe especially on the blue line would, I would like to be able to see a spot and go, I could see one of the guys in San Diego taking that spot by the end of the year. Mm-hmm. I want one of those spots to be attainable. You know what I mean? <clears throat> I think even with Manson, we would, you would still have that. Cause right now I think without signing anybody, you've got three attainable spots that are up for grabs mm-hmm. because you've only got Fowler, Drysdale, Shattenkirk. So you've got two on the left, one on the right, essentially. So, you know, Hellison, Axel Anderson, Mahura, Benoit, Vakaninen, you know, those are the guys fighting. Zellweger, right? If he has a great camp, there's a chance there. Long shot, but Mintukov, you know, the, any of these guys, depending on how they do, have a shot to, to grab that. You know, it, it's not out of the realm of possibility that you – you end up grabbing that uh, that roster spot. So I think it's fine. I think if you bring Manson back, you know, yes, it does lock up the right side of Drysdale, Shattenkirk, and Manson. I, you, you can still play a righty on the left if if you want. So it, it does leave space for any of those guys. No, in you San can't Diego. do that. Everybody gets mad when you do that. Unless you're a really good team, then it doesn't matter. I like how it's more conditioned that the lefties can go to the right, but it's rare that you see the righties come to the left. Goodness, again, it's so stupid, so fucking. Stupid. But even with Manson back, you have two right, spots, yeah. right? You have two spots and that are open. And you expect Shattenkirk's so. gone at the end of the day, at the yeah. end of the year. So you open another you one more up than later in the year. Expected that, so you 100 percent see somebody uh, walking out the door. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, you know, makes a lot of sense. I think it's, you know, again, like we talked about this when the fucking thing started. The big value that they can do is bring in guys who are different types of defensemen. Mm-hmm. Give the uh, the blue line, <clears throat> uh, some, I don't know, diversity of skill set, right? Uh, you don't want guys that just all do the same thing. It doesn't do you any good. Um, so, you know, I think bringing in a guy like Bruda or bringing in a guy like Manson makes a lot of sense. They're bigger bodies. They're right-handed. They're going to play a more physical front net kind of a role. They're not a guy you're looking at is bringing in, you know, points. Um, they're pretty standard what they are. Yeah, Schultz, you know, and, Schultz and Miller don't make a ton of sense because they do profile fairly similar to, to Drysdale and Shattenkirk in terms of what you're going to get. So, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think Miller's that. a little bit more two-way, I would yeah. say, than Schultz. But, again, I don't think either of them you know, are making too much of a difference. Colin Miller's been in some weird places. He was in Vegas. He's been in Buffalo. I'm pretty sure he was in Vancouver. It, I feel uh, like he was. That's what I was going to say, but I don't know if I remember. You know, that he's correctly. been all over the place. Maybe he would like a two or three year deal at a little bit, you know, less than what he would get at one or two. Maybe like you know, maybe like a three two million three year by two million dollar deal or something like that yeah. to just have a little bit of stability. I don't know. I you know I wouldn't be against it. His underlying numbers last time I checked, you know, his underlying numbers were fine. He's not a guy that's going to make your defense core the strongest in the league, but I don't think he's a guy that's going to turn it into a, the Swiss cheese, right? Mm-hmm. He's a perfectly fine depth defenseman. And I, I think, you know, kind of the lukewarm reactions we're having to some of these names, I think really highlights what we were talking about at the beginning of the pod. This is where we're at. There aren't going to be a lot of guys coming in that excite you. The most likely way that you're going to get an exciting player in this lineup or added to the lineup for this coming year is trading for somebody's bad contract and picking up a young player in the process. You know it. what I mean? He like, just... maybe, uh, what is it? Like Zari for Lucic or something like Zari, yeah. Zari and Lucic, that kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Other than that, I don't think you're getting anybody you're going to be too, too excited about. It's going to be about finding guys who can play roles and be responsible and just kind of 
add some insulation to the young guys that you're really trying to get uh, as much experience as you can this year. Yeah, I love it. King of transitions because we've transitioned right into the targets for the Ducks <laughs> via trade. This one's fun because there's, there's a wide variety of names, some that the Ducks have been linked to, others that have just kind of been speculated out there. Uh, again, we'll start with the forwards. Uh, it is all over the place, whether from superstars to guys that are looking for a change of scenery to bad contracts. It, it's a wide variety. So we start at the very top. We look at Matthew Kachuk, who uh, the name is floated out there as <laughs> <laughs> probably for no reason at all. We haven't really talked about him, right? We've yeah, never no, touched on his, his fit name, right? Uh, yeah, not at all. But uh, with the Flames reportedly trying to give Goodrow nine and a half, somebody floated out there that maybe Kachuk could be on the move. There's no substantial evidence before it. We don't need to talk about Kachuk more because we talked about him a ton. We'd love to have him here. I would definitely give him the seven by ten and a half if it came to it as what his projected oh contract God, is. So much money. <laughs> yeah, it, it, uh, it would be a no-brainer. Um, a, a very popular fan submission was Patrick Laine. Um, his projected contract, which I think makes sense for him, is like a three by six point four five in a sense. You know, show me you can do it for a couple of years, and then you'll get a payday. Um, again, would need to be pried out of Columbus, which I don't think it's impossible. I think he likes it there. I think he likes his fit there. I think he likes what they're building, but they are a long ways away from you know all the the, the good drafting and pieces they've had from getting there. I could see it being possible, uh, but it would take a lot. Yeah, he the thing the thing I would say, and this is not necessarily anything all that um, fucking surprising, but like he definitively has the highest goal scoring upside of anybody in that pipeline or in that roster. Yeah, and I think similar to how we feel about the idea of him playing with Zegers, they've got KJ, they've got Kent Johnson. He is a really dynamic passer right he's a playmaking center he's a guy who is going to uh excel on the power play excel uh at setting up other guys at even strength things like that one of the things that we love the most about line is how young he is it makes a lot of sense to lock him up if they can you know if they can make the term and the, the cap hit work for both sides he's one of those guys that i would have a hard time seeing them move on just because he gives them something they definitively lack throughout the rest of the lineup. They have Cole Sillinger, who's going to be, uh, who should be a perfectly good player for them. They've got Bjorkstrand, who I really like. They've got, they just locked up Bolquist as far as having some solid defensive players. They've still got Zach Wierenski. Um, They've got Jake Bean. Like I, I think they're in a really, really good spot uh, moving forward with the players that they have. And Patrick Line is a guy that they can lock up now, and he doesn't, you know, he's not going to phase out of the time frame that they're looking at for when they hope to be competing again. Yeah. I so. I will say this, and I, I, I again, I don't think this should affect your drafting, but does it say anything that Columbus went into that draft at 6-12 and 12 and took two defensemen in Juracek and Matichek, uh instead of drafting a forward if you thought there was any chance you were going to sure. lose Patrick Line with Lecker and Mackey and Kemmel and Savoy available at 6 and – you know, those types of players that they went out and said, nope, we're taking two defensemen. Maybe those are your best players available, and, you know, no matter what, whether Line is staying or not. I think Line is in the same boat as Dabrinka, that if you were going to move him, you probably moved him before the draft and got some assets there. I don't think you... Yeah, you, you would have wanted to make a pick with him, for yeah. sure. Yeah, and we've heard nothing. Like, I've heard no, no rumors whatsoever about Line. Um, he's been fan-linked to the Ducks in the past just because people think <laughs> there's no, absolutely no way you'd want to play in Columbus. 
I actually think he likes it there. Like, I, I think he's happy there. I think he knows his role there. I think they like him there, and and you know he can see how he, him being the focal point there, right? Like you said, there's nobody else there other than Bjorkstrand, but he is kind of above that. Where he knows if he stays here, he's the guy they're building around him to be a 40, 50 goal scorer. And yeah. there's something to be said about you know wanting that the Ovi type thing, right? Where you're the guy. Um, so I I I don't see him. Uh, getting moved. Another big name was Martin Netchas, who actually has been rumored to uh, be on the move out of Carolina. I, I really haven't mm-hmm. looked into the substantial reasons why, other than he just potentially could ask for a decent amount of money. The contract projection was six by five point seven nine five. So for a team that could be up against the cap, there's no way he's getting that. I, yeah, I, I, that's I, a lot. Yeah. I mean, well, if he was going to get it from anybody, I guess it would make sense for Carolina because you know that projection comes from Evolving Hockey, which. I would imagine puts a puts a, a significant at least amount of weight into the underlying numbers and the quality of play, which every smart team should do. Yada yada yada. But if you're a more old school team, I don't think his numbers are at the point where you're like, oh, we can give that guy six by six. Yeah. But he plays for Carolina, a very analytic friendly team, uh, but also a team with a budget and a team with an owner who uh, historically hasn't necessarily wanted to pay guys a dollar more than they are worth. So it could certainly be someone that um, could be available. It would be Anaheim. Give Like, again, the three guys we've talked about so far, guys that Anaheim would be giving up significant assets to get because these are guys on teams that yeah. appreciate what they are and want to keep them, right? This is what we're getting is worth more to us with the flexibility of whatever cap space we're getting by moving you. Not, we need to get these guys out of here. Mm-hmm. We'll get to a couple of those names later, later on, but... Yeah, um, we just get to the same territory we, we discussed already with Fiala, and, like, is it worth giving up the younger assets we have now and what it would cost to get this guy to bring him in now at this stage? I, I think you can maybe make the case a bit more with Neches because he turned 23 this year, so it's not like he's turning 26 like Fiala is during the season. There's a little bit more time there. But, again, it's going to cost you a lot, and it's going to cost you more because he is younger, right? And he's uh, you know on a, a pending RFA, so they're, they're, it, it's not going to be easy to prime out of Carolina. I think for them there's no way they lose both Trocek and Neches, and I think they're more likely to keep Neches than Trocek. Just because, oh, hell yeah. Yeah. So uh, – I think Trocek ends up in Boston, to be honest. I could see it, yeah. I, I think that's just a tough one. Line A, again, same boat, like the, what you're going to cost to get him. It, it's not maybe not worth it at this point. Um, two Edmonton names are interesting. Uh, Jesse Pugliarvi, who has been linked to be out the door because they don't want to resign him. He is projected at almost uh, 6 by 5 which was <laughs> surprising. It's a great underlying numbers, but was inconsistent throughout the year. And then Kyler Yamamoto projected at 3 by 4.75 Apparently, the Oilers would rather keep Yamamoto, which I could see. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, so Pugliarvi, the more likely one, and then Yamamoto. I, I still can't see this happening. Um, I can't imagine, unless it's, you know, you're getting a steal on Pugliarvi because they're trying to get him out the door that the Ducks are going to want to give up any significant assets to the Oilers, it'd be a tough one. Well, I mean, here's the thing, right? We had the uh, Mark Spector article, and as much you know as Mark Spector carries water for the Edmonton Oilers franchise and you know is, is their number one uh, press hitman as far as you know making guys look bad and shit like that. Uh, he talked to the scouts and things like that, and they said, you know, if you can get a second-round pick, that's great. Anaheim's got three second-round picks. Mm-hmm. 
next year. Okay, yeah, dude, I'll take yeah. Fuji Jarvi. I'll give you one of those seconds for Fuji Jarvi. That's where you start doing um, what Verbeek said and, and using some of those picks to flip for assets, right? So. Right, the things that everybody hoped would be done mm-hmm. before this draft, this is where you're really doing it, right? And you're bringing in a guy that isn't going to raise the floor so high for the next season that it takes you out of the Connor Bedard race, but it's also a guy who's going to come in who can be a part of the team moving forward, who can provide a physical dynamic, um, and is still going to play with a, a high level of skill and is probably looking to uh, go somewhere new where he has the opportunity to like actually be consistently played at, at the top of the lineup. So I, I think Pooja Jarvie makes a lot of sense as far as his availability and the cost. Um, and I think, if nothing else, they might want to keep Yamamoto more in Edmonton just because he, he, he plays a more a more obviously skilled game, right? He's a little bit more of a uh, of a skill winger uh, than Pooja Jarvie's more of a big body. And obviously, Pooja Jarvie has tons of skill, but I, I just think, you know, uh, what do you call it? Yamamoto's playing a little bit with more with speed than with size. Uh-huh. Uh, and I think if you're Edmonton, it, that's maybe someone that you want to keep just for the aesthetics. And he did play well this year. It's not like you're keeping him just because he's fast, right? This is an, an Athanasine type thing. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I think him being cheaper uh, projected, you know, on a shorter deal makes a lot of sense why he would stay in Edmonton. I think if they do move one of those guys, it will be Paul Darby. And I think Anaheim is in a position to make a very competitive offer. Yep. You know, and you can always do the inverse, right, of the – I mean, again, I'm going to fucking beat this horse to death. Um but it's similar to what I've talked about with Andrew Cogliano coming down and, and changing positions, right? You could send Sam Steele up there and be like, here is this former first-round draft pick that, um, From you know. the area, sort of, think, from Saskatchewan. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, man. It's all just Canada. Unless the bagels are, like, this thick. Then I know you're Montreal. Yeah. Um, you know, but, yeah, like, I just think, you know, you could send a second and Sam Steele up there. Uh, I mean, hell, is this a team that would be willing to maybe sell or buy high on someone like Isaac Lundestrom? Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I, I mean, I would probably say Pooja Jarvie is more uh, valuable moving forward than Lundestrom is. And I think given Pooja Jarvie standing in Edmonton, you would probably pick up an asset in that. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think Pooja Jarvie is absolutely a, a reasonably possible uh, trade target more so than a lot of these other guys the, this next one is one of the more interesting ones to me because the ducks have been linked to him in the past before he got moved the first time out of columbus uh purely dubois is uh rumored to be on the move out of winnipeg because he's told the jets that he wants to explore free agency in 2024 so that means he wants to sign a one-year deal essentially or i think a, a two-year deal i believe I can't remember if it would be a one- or a two-year deal. Basically, he just wants to test free agency when he is eligible, mm-hmm. which would be a one- or a two-year deal. And if you're Winnipeg, you traded Patrick Laine to get him. Well, maybe now is the time to move him out rather than to sign him to that two-year deal and know that he's going to hit free agency and try and sell him to a team as a rental, right? So I, I like it as an option um, in the sense that if you're the Ducks and you think you could potentially convince him to sign with you long-term, it's a good it's a good deal depending on what it's going to cost you. I think Winnipeg being in that desperate situation means you could potentially get away with getting him for a little bit less than what it would normally cost him. Uh, if you, you know, he was 
comfortable being there and wasn't publicly saying that he wants to hit free agency in a couple of years. Mm-hmm. For me, the unfortunate thing is I think like he just in a couple of years is going to hit free agency and go to Montreal. And that's the ultimate so, destination for him. But I, I, again, linked with Anaheim in the past, the spot to play in, in, in the top six as a center. Great season, 28 goals, 60 points in 81, 81 games. I, I, I like it. It's not bad. It just depends what it's going to cost. So here, you just kind of hit it on the head for me. Do you think he is better than Kirby Dak? Yes. What the fuck, then? Yeah, if, if you're in Montreal, why didn't you get... Uh... No, no, no. If you're Winnipeg, how do you not make that phone call, right? If you hear that that's out there, how how are you not, you know, putting him on the table for that pick? Because Winnipeg needs to blow it up immediately. Anyway, we don't have to talk about other teams. I just think it's it's just something that struck my yeah. mind. I think it's stupid. Yeah, for Anaheim, I, I mean, I think for me at this point, it makes sense if he's willing to move to the wing because I have a hard time seeing him as a definitive upgrade, even in potential, than Mason McTavish. Um, I think those are kind of like for like as far as big bodied left handed, uh, you know, offensively inclined guys. I think um, that McTavish's defensive uh, upside is much higher. Um, you know, I, he's I get why Anaheim is, has been linked with him. He's a guy that I like a lot. I think it's hard for me at this point to say he has a a real shot at a top two long at a top six center world long term in Anaheim yeah but you know I I could certainly see it if they do end up you know a lot of people still think they might move Zegers to the wing um you know maybe yeah maybe they do that right maybe they put Zegers on his wing and they put Terry on the other side and that's your top line or something like that and then you have McTavish and uh you know Perot and whoever the hell on the other line or something like that like I could see it um but if he wants to test for agency, I don't know that the, the the value is there for what it will, like you said, what it will cost to get him. Yep. I think it all hinges on if you think you can convince him to sign with you long term rather Which than... Which you have to know before the trade. Like yep. That's one of those you have to talk to the agent. Yeah, because he's a pending RFA right now. So it's a, we trade for him and then we sign him. You know, right. we sign him immediately after I uh, projected at six by, what was it, six by 6.4, which actually isn't too bad for a 60 point center. <laughs> It's not. It's not the end of the world. I'm sure. I don't I'm sure that's that not bad. too bad. Uh, all right, he's get, still really young. That's fair. I yeah, guess. it's not too bad. We got a few more options of guys that aren't basically salary dumps from a couple other teams. Uh, Travis Konechny from the Flyers, Connor Garland from the Canucks, and uh, Anthony Beauvillier from the Islanders. The Ducks have been linked to Beauvillier uh, as a possible destination. He's got two years left at four point one five. Garland has four years left at four point nine five million. Um, thrown in trade kind of discussions all year, as has Besser before he got signed and JT Miller. It's kind of cooled down a little bit. It's more about JT Miller right now, but I think if JT Miller stays and Besser stays, then Garland's probably the guy who leaves. And then Konechny recently has been kind of thrown into trade discussions, which I have no idea what the Flyers are doing. They're adding players, but looking to move out good young players. But uh, Konechny and Provorov have been the two guys linked out there. And Konechny has three years left at five and a half. I, I like two of the options. I'm not, like, I don't hate Beauvillier, don't get me wrong. Um, I don't know if I would pay what it would cost to get him. 
versus the other guys. I think the cost could be roughly similar, and I, I like more uh, what you get from Garner Garland. I love that contract at 4 by 4.95 for the next four years, uh, and I like Travis Konechny and what uh, what he could bring to the lineup, a projectable fit as a second-line right wing uh, with you know waiting for Perot to come. You've got three years at 5.5 to really get a good look at what he can do, and he's had some good years in Philly, so I, I, like, I like those two options. Yeah, I mean, I, I like... I, I, I'm with you in so much as Konechny and Garland, I think, are the two that clearly stand uh, head and shoulders above. You know, the Anthony Bavillier thing, I, it's hard to, like, I guess I just don't know what you would have to give up because it almost feels like it's half a salary dump. Yeah. At the very least, it's a change of scenery trade, so I don't know what the cost is. And if you just want to pick up the $4 million in cap hit for some a relatively low price relative to upside, I think that's fine. Like, you want to trade the latest second or a third round pick. I, I'm not going to quibble with that. Um, you know, it gives you a young player on a, a cap hit that helps move Anaheim forward as far as, uh, you know, the salary cap floor and stuff like that. Um, but Garland and Konechny, I love, I love a lot. I think both of them bring a very aggressive, uh, four check, heavy, physical, heavy, you know, uh, speed wing option to the team that Anaheim just doesn't have. The goal scoring you know, aspect I, to both of them as well. Yeah, I mean, they're really, uh, you know, I guess similar in. I mean, look, the reality of it is, is they're Brad Marchand lights, right? They're smaller guys. Mm-hmm. They've got good speed and good skill, and they're physical, and they never shut up. You know, Connor Garland I saw get in the middle of more than a few scrums his time this season in Vancouver. And Travis Connecting literally never stops talking. I would have no problem with bringing either of those guys in. I think they could do uh, a lot of good for Anaheim. I think given the, the duration is, is longer and the cap is smaller, I think Garland is maybe uh, the guy that you would prefer. But I think both of those guys plays for teams that are unfortunately – well, not unfortunately for Anaheim, but – Unfortunately, in a sense, they're they're guys on teams that should want them, but kind of seem to need to move them just because of other decisions that they've made regarding players and contracts and things like that. Um, you know, I mean, pretty much as soon as <laughs> as uh, Rutherford and Alvin got announced, it felt like Connor Garland was name was out was out there as far as being moved on from. So, you know, I, I think if you can kind of leverage his five million dollar cap hit uh, into picking up an additional asset, asset from Vancouver. I think that yeah. makes a lot of sense. And you know, like I said, that extra year, like you could see the last two years of that deal being on a team where Anaheim is relatively competitive, right? That could be Anaheim pushing for that wild card spot in the last two years of that deal. I could see, and that makes it worth it to me. Yeah. Um, because I don't think, you know, the cap hit, the, hopefully the salary cap itself starts to go up by then, um, you know, and he's going to be a guy that he's cost controlled. Uh, and I think both of them would end their deals as RFAs, but that might not be right. No, I think, I think they'd both Garland be would UFA. probably be a UFA at the very Yeah, least. I think the better chance is that... Konechny. Uh, Konechny would be an RFA, but let me, let me pull that up real quick and check. So Konechny would be... No, they'd all be UFAs. UFA, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, but still, um, either way, I think both of them, you know, like I said, provide a, a dynamic and a, a an in, injection of both speed 
and physicality and agitation that would be great to add to the young forward core that Anaheim has right now. So I, you know, yeah, I love both. Of them. I'm I'm a big fan of Connect Me, and, and that is a deal. I like him as a player. I think of the three, he's the best player. I've been a huge mm-hmm. fan of Connor Garland for a long time since his time in Arizona. I like the three years better than the four as much as I love Connor Garland. I think the four, it's not going to hurt you. He's going he's to be 30 when that's done, so it's not bad. Um, the thing I like about Philly better, they are desperate. They mm-hmm. have put themselves in cap hell. They've signed Anthony D'Angelo to a very, very bad deal, 5.5 for two years. And they are trying to push hard to bring Johnny Goodrow home to Philly. Um I think there's a scenario here where you can walk away from this with getting Konechny, potentially taking on a bad contract late JVR to give them cap space. So then you've moved out $12 million for them, $12.5 million, enough for them to go out and sign Johnny Goodrow with a little bit of space. And it might not cost you that much because the cost that it would cost you to get Konechny, you might offset that a little bit by taking on JVR's contract at the full $7 because you can afford to bring it on. Then it might not really cost you that much. Maybe it's a, you know, I don't are, know. Are, come are we sure? I don't know. Well, here's my thing, right? Are we a hundred percent sure that you couldn't do a second and Comtois and you know maybe low player X and bring back Konechny and Van Riemsdyk in York? Because they because the yeah. thing about York. Is the moment they signed D'Angelo, He's I gone. don't know. I don't know that there's an obvious place for him in the lineup now, right? The the argument against that, I guess, would be, well, we don't know when Ryan Ellis is back, which is more than fair. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I could certainly see a, a world in which, like you said, moving out twelve and a half million in cap space is worth moving on from him if you're gonna bring in Johnny Gaudreau. That to me is one of those ones where it's like. If Johnny Gaudreau says yes, this is a deal we make. Yeah, um, because it's worth it to bring Johnny Gaudreau in. He immediately adds an offensive dynamic that we do not have on this roster, and that none of the three guys that we're giving up would provide. Yeah. Right? It's a, Very it's a weird scenario. You could do both, right? Like where you yeah. could you could do both and bring in a good player and still some salary cap relief for the Flyers and Connecting, but also still have the space to bring in JVR and just dump that space and lower that mm-hmm. cost a bit where Konechny would normally cost you a, a, a decent amount of assets because he is a 50 to 60 point winger. But hey, maybe it only costs you come to one a second and you get another additional piece there, right? Where come to fits under their, their salary. You could even come to us on the last year of his deal. You can retain half of it and he costs them nothing at that point. If you really wanted to, you could do mm-hmm. that. JVR becomes a flippable asset at the deadline. You could retain half of and and ship him out the door. And Connecty is just a good young player you can keep on your roster and, and add to your yeah. top six. I, I think it's the most logical of scenarios, which means it probably doesn't happen. I don't know how many trades we <laughs> see where you you get that much cap dumped out the door and it, it's that many working parts. It just feels like with the Flyers' pursuit of of Goodrow, they're going to need to do something. They need to move JVR at the least. Well, they need to move JVR and one of Connecty or Provorov, and that's why they're looking at moving those guys out. I think it's a lot easier to say, okay, let's move the two forwards because we're bringing in another forward, right? And that, you know, Prover- they're going to have a lot of defense for making a lot of money. Um, I think Did they move Provorov before Sanheim? Apparently, that's the... that Those are the two wow. names that have been out there. And I know Sanheim was out there at one point. Um, but I think it might honestly just be easier for them to move Provorov than Sanheim. 
Uh, and it's longer term relief on Provorov, right? It's three years versus mm-hmm. Sandheim's one year. And a higher cap hit. And a higher cap hit, yeah. Because moving Sandheim and JVR, you're just, just scraping enough to bring in Goodrow. Moving Provorov and JVR or Konechny and JVR, you've got Goodrow's 10.5 or 9.5 plus a few more million to just have some space, right? So I, I, think, uh, I think it makes sense now. Adding York to that might be might be tough, but I don't think it's a you know out of the question to add maybe Tyson Forrester or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, sure, you know maybe not their Forrester best prospect. Be yeah, exactly, and a, a goal scoring winger to add to to San Diego. It's not bad because he he was in that thing where he was yeah, eligible for the AHL least. because of COVID, so he can go right down to San Diego and play with Perot and those guys down there. So. I like that one a lot. I, I'm going to spend a lot more time looking at that one because I didn't even think of that as a potential double swoop for, for the Ducks. Um, and that I think that would appease a lot of people. You get the salary dump, you get a good young player in, you potentially get another prospect in, you're utilizing that cap space to your advantage, you're getting flippable assets, like you're using potentially draft picks to get it. Like you're doing all the things for Beak Set all in one. So it, uh, yeah. it would be nice. And it, it makes, I mean, like you said, like it's almost annoying so this is one of those things where you hear it and you go, oh, that's a pie-in-the-sky fan trade. But this is one of those ones where you think about it, you're like, mm, oh, well, actually I could see a world in which this isn't the craziest idea anybody's ever had. Yeah. I think it's because of their and, pursuit of Goodrow. It, it just yeah. it adds that in there, right? Well, and also their fucking commitment to not rebuilding. Yeah. You know, and yeah. I fucking love Sean Couturier, man. I, mm-hmm. I would very much be very happy for him if they can actually be a competitive team. Um, But... Oh boy, you know, that's a team that if anybody was willing, like, I mean, honestly, if there was a team that was willing to buy on a guy like Comtois, that's a team I could see doing it. Yeah. Um, Again, retained at 50%, it, it becomes a no brainer to throw him in the deal. Um, and for the Flyers to get a, a. But even if it's just adding a guy that has, you know, top six upside uh, with a minimal cap hit, minimal risk. I think Comtois would be a guy they would be interested in even outside of bringing the other stuff back. Mm-hmm. So I think, like you said, throwing him in becomes a no-brainer. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I like that one a lot. Um, we had a couple other cap dumps on here. Patrick Hornquist, one year left at 5.3 for the, the Panthers, who are going to need to move some salary out. Um, you've got Jason Zucker, one year left at 5.5 for Pitt. If Pittsburgh's not, they just signed Latang to the 6x6. Six Malkin's likely out the door, but if Malkin goes, apparently they want to sign Kadri to his 8 by 85 or whatever he wants. So they could do well from getting rid of that, that Zucker deal. Kadri is such a Berkey player. Yeah, yeah, I know. I 100%. I, I feel like if Kadri goes somewhere. Well, oh, shit, obviously he had to have been drafted by Burke, huh? Yeah, yeah, I think he was. Yeah, yeah okay. That so I, I can 100% see Kadri. I think the most likely destination for him, honestly, is Pittsburgh. It, it fits that he can you know, compete at, for a cup. Play as a second line center behind Sid, like he did behind McKinnon in Colorado. It's a really similar spot for him. Get some good wingers to play with. I think it makes sense for him there. But Zucker would be a guy they, they moved out. We've looked at Zucker before, uh, SoCal native, right? So it, you could see him come home in a, in a cap dump. Maybe you get some draft picks and Pierre Olivier Joseph or something like that back. Um, and then Calgary has two. Sean Manahan's one year left at 6.375, and Milan Lucic one year left at 5.25. Um, now, Monahan's the weird one because. I don't know his injury status and whether he looks to be on the LTIR for the rest of next year. If they think he does, they'll probably just keep him and use that LTIR space. So Luchik becomes the more likely one. I don't know how much the Ducks want to help Calgary, though. I guess it could be Calgary helping Anaheim in a sense, too, though. The other thing is, is like, 
you know, as as Cap Friendly has made a point and um, a point of saying this is like there is a downside to using LTIR. So mm -hmm. I, I think we have very clearly seen teams are not afraid to take on the LTIR thing and use that as a way to get the most out of their roster. But there is a downside. There is a cost to it. So if he's going to be on LTIR next year, maybe it makes more sense to move him than Lucic at that point. Mm -hmm. because you're not actually taking anybody off the roster and you're creating more room. Yep. You know, like, all the legitimate issues with Lucic aside... I think they I like what they have, too. I think they like him. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Especially a guy like Daryl Sutter. I do think Daryl Sutter likes having Lucic around. So if they can move a guy like Sean Monaghan, maybe they, they prefer that. Now, we heard when the season was over about how much this team loved Sean Monaghan and how much they missed him and all that stuff. But that contract and that injury is still the reality. Mm -hmm. And if they can move him, it makes a lot of sense. I don't know what they would be giving up. I think it would have to be like a Zari or uh, I think, do they have Nybeck or is Nybeck in Carolina? Oh man, I can't remember. I think he's in Carolina well, though. But yeah, but, like, yeah, Zari, yeah. Pelche, you know, Poirier. Guys like sure. that, right? So that you know. could potentially um, that aren't on their roster now, you could bring over. They they've got some good. Poirier. Yeah, you <sighs> remember him? He was one of your favorites. Right, he's Zellweger, bro. Let's go. Um, yeah, so I, I could see them yeah, potentially, um, you know, being being willing because of the the stage they're in right now, even losing Goodrow, to free up some of that cap space to go and hopefully make some like a Burakovsky type signing to bring mm -hmm. somebody in to replace him. Um, and still make a run at it because they they do need to make a run at it. They've got an older roster. Um, Would that be a team? Is Calgary not a team that should go after Kadri? Yeah, I think I think they've been in that mix. Um, who is because it's Lindholm and then Backlund, right? So they mm -hmm. they would be in that that mix. And, uh, and Backlund's fine, but he's not a second line. No, center. he's a Monaghan very good third line. Center, Monaghan yeah. hasn't been that dude. The only problem is you pay Backlund five point three five million dollars to be a third line center potentially, but it is what it well, is yeah, at that point. You can't fucking, you can't. He's do also what it, is he thirty yeah. one? Uh, yeah, thirty three. Oof. Yeah, so yeah. that's the thing. You're giving him, you're paying him the deal that you paid him to be a second line center. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And now he's a third line center, and he's still been pretty good for them. Um, so this is just them moving him down the lineup as the rest of the roster improves around him. Elias Lindholm, um, that kind of stuff. Yeah, no, I, I, Calgary is a really interesting one because I think they don't have a draft pick in this next draft either. Um, so they're a, a really interesting team as far as what they, they would need to give up to move some of these guys. They got a they first and a second. They've got a first and a second. For this upcoming draft? Yep, 2023. They got a first and a second, according to Cap Friendly. But, cool. uh, they, like we said, they got some nice young pieces. Cor um, sorry, Coronado is a guy I forgot. I really like him. Uh, played with Thren at Harvard. Um, Chicago Steel product, I believe, played with Colangelo as well when he was with the Steel, so familiar with some of the Ducks prospects. They had played with Ian Moore. Wait, I Frank think Coronado? They... No, no, Matthew Coronado. Oh, yeah. oh no, Frank is, Coronado is the dude that signed that terrible yes, contract. Yes, yes, Frankie, uh, Frankie Coronado, right? Yeah. yeah, 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 the Toronto deal. And then he was in the, oh my God, that's right, he got sent to, uh, he got sent to Ottawa in the Zaitsev deal, and then they sent Zaitsev for Stone. Mm-hmm. 
That's right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Putting it all together. No, but he's he's really good too. He's one of their top prospects. It might be tough to bring him out there, but uh, a good kind of scoring winger. So I I wouldn't mind that. But some good options for the Ducks. I, I, that Flyers one is just too crazy for me to not love it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I could I could really see that one uh, getting pulled off. And man, if you could, I I, I think it's a stretch. But if you could somehow make it connect me, uh, JVR and and York, uh, that's a. Uh, that's a dream. That's a dream scenario right there. That'd be it. And then that just flipping, be... flipping JVR for a that second be... at the deadline to just offset whatever you lost, essentially. So yeah. I mean, they would be. That would be. That would be like off-season winning level. Yeah. You add a dynamic uh, defenseman like Cam York. You add a young, good top six forward. You know, if you want to say top nine forward in Travis Konechny, and you're adding an asset, you're at Kevin. I, I, yeah, no, yeah, I, and York plays next year in that. Yeah, that, he that's the this year, yeah so, I know. Yeah, yeah, and he 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 plays for sure. So I'm just gonna stop thinking about it because I'm gonna be disappointed when it doesn't happen. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so moving on to our defenseman. This wraps up the last portion of the show here. So I know we're we're gonna push to three hours again because we always do. But you know, Jesus Christ, it is what it is. We did spend 45 minutes just bitching about the Ducks fan base in the beginning of this episode yeah. because we had Absolutely. to because we spent 40 minutes before the podcast talking about the same thing. So um, <laughs> some of the other names that, uh, again, it's a mixture of some young guys that are pending our phase to some cap dumps uh, and a few different other moves. Um, the big name, Jacob Chikrin, one that I'm not going to continue to talk about. Three years at $4.6 million. The Arizona Curtis are, are I guarantee they're going to move him to somebody. The offer from what we last heard way back at the deadline was like four first-round picks area, like either you know some picks mm-hmm. and former first-round picks and prospects and that type of thing. So that that's just – I don't think that one's happening. That That's beyond uh, what the Ducks can do at this point. Now, despite what we said, if the Ducks shouldn't move these prospects out for these types of guys. Chikrin is a little bit of an exception because of his age, right, that it, it, it you, you could make a case for it. it just and the efficacy of defensemen longer, I think, right? You yeah. can say – you can see – top pairing defenseman yeah being more effective longer than a top six forward but for anaheim for the cost it doesn't for me like if you're moving 2023 first and then zellweger maybe pass like at that point it doesn't make sense for them whereas like the kings if it's 2023 first turcott and some you know helga grants you could say okay like yeah yeah, sure because they're at a point where like that makes them legitimate to add a guy like that and he's still young enough and and you know fits mm-hmm. them under the cap that it makes sense as much as i hate to say it like i don't want to see him in la it is a deal that the the player profile makes sense the cost probably doesn't make sense for the ducks right now yeah. where they are um the other bigger names that were kind of salary dumps we'd mentioned in Provorov was one three years at 6.75 marcus Pedersen three years at four and John Marino, five years at 4.4. Guys that are cap dumps technically by those teams because they're looking to dump Sally, but are still valuable players that you can stick in your lineup. Um, I think my favorite is, is Marino. We've talked about him before. I think five years at 4.4 is nice. You do that if you're not bringing Josh Manson back, though. Like, yes. You, you, there's no way to fit them all in if you bring Josh Manson back. And I don't think you want to pay Josh the 4.4. Uh, the four by four, and then Marino four, five by four point four. That's that's a kind of a tough look to say. Where do these guys fit? Right? It doesn't doesn't make too much sense at that point. Yeah, I um, look. I I would I you know I said this on Twitter. I, I think Marcus Pedersen in Pittsburgh is the guy to go after just because they seem to be one undervaluing him and two more inclined to get him out. Mm-hmm. Um, 
if you can go get John Marino, fucking go do it, you know, then your right side is pretty much set at that point because now you've got Drisdale, Marino, and then Hellison, Warren, any of those guys, you know, uh, you you hope pops, and then that's your answer. Um, but I think Pedersen would be great. He's got some term left. He would be – he's still young. He's only like 26 years old. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the duration of the contract still keeps him in his best years. Uh, Tyler Myers is a really interesting one just because, again, Vancouver's in a spot where they need to move stuff out. Yeah, except they think they and can get something for him. <laughs> I don't understand that. That's the one that doesn't make any sense to me is that they think they can get an asset for him. And if they haven't dumped him yet, then maybe that's true. Maybe there is a way that – but, like, fucking A. Um, you're only getting an asset for him if you're retaining 30 or 50% of that, moving him out of one year by three, and then maybe the you can ask him. Yeah, exactly. Then you're not dumping the cap space. You're, you're eliminating yeah. $3 million to get a second-round pick when you could just get him out the door for, like, a third, you know, or something like that. So Right. So, you know, and then the other one that I've been a big fan of is Eric Johnson. I think with the way that this season ended, uh, and he was great this year, so I get if they have no interest in moving he's him. He's a right? leader on that team, too. He's yeah. a leader, and, you know, he does a great job in the role that he's asked for that team. So I, you know, I get it if they want it. They would rather just let him be what it is and, you know, have him walk out the door at the end of next year. I don't think anybody would begrudge him that. But I could also see if they said, ah, Hey, how do you feel about going to Southern California? You know, yeah. maybe, you know, Manson's like, oh, no, it was great. I loved it there. You know, and so, you know, that kind of stuff. But um, Eric Johnson would be one I would be really interested in because if for no other reason, I would love to see what they would get from Colorado for taking that deal. on. Yeah. Because I don't think Colorado is pressed necessarily right now unless they want to make sure they bring back one of Kadri or Burakovsky. I don't think they're pressed right now. I think they've got um, – They've got a little bit of, they've got a fair amount of room to bring some of those guys back and to take another run at it. And with, you know, New Hook in the pipeline still, uh, or New Hook, you know, still being young and on a DLC, like, I don't know that they need to do anything hyper aggressive. Yeah, I, I don't think so. I think they're going to bring back one of Burkowski, Nichushkin, and Kadri. I think it's going to be Nichushkin who ends up coming back. So I think they're okay with letting Burkowski and um, Kadri walk. And then you're right. Like if they do that, they're not in a desperate position to really get dump EJ out the door. Um, right. You know, McKinnon, his he needs a contract extension that would start next year when EJ's contract comes to an end. So it's not like that's going to hamper right. them. If it was two years on EJ's deal, you'd be like, okay, like maybe there's a bit more urgency to get that out the door to make room for McKinnon. You know, adding another four million dollars or so onto uh onto his cap hit so i could i could see that being uh a concern at that point but it is just an interesting one that if they were desperate for cap space he is a you know one that you could just clear that full six and go out and get something else for uh but i think i think they're comfortable with where they're at to, to kind of assess it at, at a later point to see what they need uh the other names before we get to like kind of the younger players where Nikita Zaitsev's two years at 4.5. Ottawa's trying to, to move that out. I don't know why they need to dump Sally, but they're just looking to get it out there. I think they're looking for assets for him, though, um, while being you know open to eating some salary. So it's probably the opposite move of what the Ducks would be willing to do. And then the other salary dump would be Tyson Berry in Edmonton. Uh, but that might not be necessary now. This this We put this together before Duncan Keith retired. And mm-hmm. the, the Oilers just lucked out of almost $6 million in cap space. So they might not need to do that, but if they need to dump more salary, Tyson Berry's two at 
you could maybe pry Pili Rarvi out for taking on that salary or something like that, right? So it could be an interesting move. And uh, but again, he really profiles the same as as Shattenkirk and Drysdale, right? So it is a, a tough go to bring him in and be like, yeah, you're gonna take Drysdale's spot in the power play, probably. No, he's gonna take Shattenkirk's spot on the second power play. Is what he yeah. would do. Like you don't bring in Barry and keep Shattenkirk, right? Either Shattenkirk goes the other way, and you take these you know about a half million six hundred thousand mm-hmm. drop in cap hit and the lack of the second year or you move shattenkirk out the door in a, in a separate deal yeah or at least at some point early on in the season you you can't run out a right side of those three guys especially with the left side guys that you do have it's it's unsustainable yeah um but i would absolutely bring you know, Tyson Berry in for an asset and Kevin Shattenkirk out for an asset. Like, I, I don't see how that's not good, uh, just good decision-making from Anaheim. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I could see it. It uh, I, I think the one thing I want to talk about before we move on to the two youngins were Sandine and Bear uh, with Provorov and what we talked about with the Flyers. If it was Provorov instead of Konechny, but the, and then let's say in the, uh, instead of York, it's Forster. You still like I, I don't like it as much, but if it was you know JVR Provorov and Forster, is that something you still look at, or do you say and maybe not with Provorov because he makes six six point seven five for three years? Provorov, it's a it's a little bit harder for me um, because those, I mean, you basically have two Cam Fowlers at that point, mm-hmm. and he doesn't his underlying numbers at least are not as strong as Cam's, so you're paying him more than Cam to not be as good. Like yeah. I, I just don't know how that's doable. Um, I mean, depending on what the assets you're getting back, right? If you're picking up a pick in that one, right? Yeah. Uh, or something like that, I can I can certainly see it. I think in a lot of ways it makes more sense for Philadelphia, so maybe it, it's easier for you to get more out of Philadelphia. Yeah. But it is a little bit harder for me to to eat those last two years of that pro Rob deal because yeah. Cam Fowler's going to have what he's got another four years left on his deal after this one. Yes, yeah, yeah. So you know, yeah, and, and I, don't and think I they're I, moving Cam Fowler, so I don't know why you bring in pro Rob. I think the thing too is you can see the longer term fit easier for Konechny than you can pro Rob. Right. And, and later mm-hmm. on, Provorov at the end of those three years deal, unless he takes a huge step forward, it's like, okay, at that point, we're ready for Mintukov, we're ready for Zellweger. You know, we're ready for our young guys, Thrawn and Lacom and those guys to step in, where it's like, okay, we brought in Provorov and then we can't really use him now. Right. There's just mm-hmm. no room for him. Where Konechny, like, I could see the fit with the prospects we have. We need wingers in the system. And. He's the type of guy you could bring in and still have a valuable role in three years, and you could say, okay, yeah, even if Perot comes up and Pasuov come up, there's still a spot for him, right? He's not, you know, he's not blocking anybody or whatever. At least with the prospects we have now, like you can see a path for him to stay as part of this team in the future. With Provorov, it, it becomes a little bit more difficult with, especially the defenseman the Ducks added in this draft. But to add to the ones they already have, it does, it does mm-hmm. make it a little bit tougher to to do that. It would, do, I think, the return would have to be a little bit higher in terms of little, you know, sh- uh, future assets that you'd be getting in that point. Because then Provorov's more of a cap dump than he is like an asset, like Konechny is. He still is an asset. He still makes this team better, but it it does feel a bit more of a cap dump, especially with that higher cap it almost being seven million dollars, right? So, if Anaheim was going to take on a defensive contract with term from Philly, I would rather take Ryan Ellis. 
yeah. than Provorov. Yeah. And I know that that sounds silly, but he plays the right-hand side. I think his game uh, has a lot of value, and if he gets healthy, that could work really well. And if not, then he's on LTIR forever or whatever. Um, you know, I, I, I would rather probably, especially for what you would get for taking that contract on, um, I, I think I would much rather have Ellis than the pro Rob at this point, which is yeah. fucking stupid to say out loud, but I think it's true. Yeah, no, I could see it. Um, okay, the other two yeah, younger guys we had, Ethan Bear, rumored to be uh, on, available from Carolina. Uh, RF pending RFA projected contract of two by two point five, which I think fits. You know, kind of a show me deal. And then Rasmus Sandin, not so much rumored out of Toronto, other than they're just not on the same page with his role and and mm-hmm. what he wants next year versus what the team wants. They feel like they can't guarantee him a you know a guaranteed role in their top six defenseman because of the guys that they have. They brought back Giordano. They've got Brody. They've got Muzzin. They've got Riley. Uh, they've got Justin Hall. Like they, it's, it's tough for them to say, okay, you're going to be guaranteed a spot, and he wants that. So eventually, that could kind of, you know, result in a trade. Um, I think if that does happen in Toronto, like that, that was more speculation of who could the Ducks get if John Gibson went to Toronto, and that kind of got squashed yeah. today with, uh, in a sense, with his agent coming out or Nick Kiprios suggesting that his agent said that he has no interest whatsoever going to Toronto. Uh, for me, that that comment felt more of a double down in the sense that like he hasn't asked for a trade, he's not going anywhere. I don't think it, I don't think it happens anyway. But Sandine felt like a nice piece potentially if the Ducks could get him out there because he did his underlying numbers were very good in terms of his his transition game and puck possession game. Um, and he's young enough that he you know again just like York can play next year. You can see where he fits in the top four. You can give him you can give him that role he wants as a top four defenseman. Uh, whether it's playing with Drysdale or playing with Shattenkirk or something like that, uh, he'd be the second guy behind Fowler. So you give him that opportunity. Um, and then Ethan, Ethan Bear, I like because he again he profiles different to Shattenkirk and Drysdale, and you like him a lot. Is is a guy that you could bring in and what what he provides. He's young enough to be a nice piece of this core in the future. And when you look at the right side of defense, the Ducks don't have a lot of guys you know ready and near the next level. They kind of just drafted those two guys who would be like the next step is Warren and Leno as guys who could fill in on the right side. So it would be nice to get a guy like Bear that it's Drysdale and Bear. And then when you move on from Shattenkirk, it's not just Drysdale, right? You've got another guy on that right side. So I do like that one as an option too. Yeah, I, I like Bear a lot. I think he would be good. I think he's he's got good size. Um, he skates well. He, he drives offense uh, you know, I, I think uh, he's absolutely a player that could, could be a lot of uh, could be very valuable to Anaheim. Uh, and it sounds like, you know, there doesn't seem to be much of a fit for him in Carolina moving forward. Now, with them trading Tony D'Angelo, that seems to be even sillier than it was going into it. But that still seems to be the way that the, the situation breaks. Um, I think Anaheim adding Ethan Bear could be great. I think him and, like I said before, Zach Whitecloud are two guys that I've just liked a lot just as far as. I just think the upside is high and the downside is incredibly low. Like I just don't think there's anything to really be lost by adding either of those guys. Um, and, you know, Sandine would be great. I think Sandine, um, if I'm honest, I think Sandine makes Zellweger borderline disposable. Uh, or not – that's uh, – I take that it's back. It's tougher to fit in in the line. I think it makes it easier – to use Zellweger as a premium asset in a trade mm-hmm. for another player if you bring in Sandine. Yeah. Because 
they're both driving offense. They don't seem to do it the same way, obviously. Uh, but again, Sandin's you know. a bit small. He's 5'11". We talked about that in the draft preview, like drafting Denton Matejuk. Like, how many of these guys under six foot can you have that project to right. be on your roster? So, you know, I think that there's... Uh, yeah, I just think he, he's, he's – he's, I mean, look, they're, the fucking the reason they're on here, they're both good players. They seem to not necessarily be on the same page as leadership. And so as far as all that's concerned, yeah, man, go out and get them. Bring them in. That would be great. I think uh, both of them have a lot to offer to an Anaheim team. And I think there's a world in which they go get both of them, to be honest. Yeah, I can see it. The only the only thing, and I you know I I've I've harped on these comments, and I think I'm taking them a bit too literally with with Verbeek's comments on the size of his defenseman. But you know, Sandy and Bear are both five eleven. Again, you're adding them to. Right now, it's not a big deal because Dry's there's only five eleven. Yeah, I was surprised to see that too. I thought he was. I thought bigger. he was six one six two. I know. Oh, I man. just looked it up, and he's five eleven. I was surprised to see. That. I, oh, thought, I, I thought he was six one six two. But yeah, like that. Maybe that's a concern. But at some point, like. Again, like you, you know, what are, what are you going to do if you can get a good player like that? You see how it works, and I think Bear is a bit of a stockier five eleven than uh, than Sandin yeah. is, um, so it's not as big a deal. But yeah, like I, I mean, listen, we we we're done here. We profiled all of our guys. the The optimal ideal situation, according to us, I guess, is you go, you get Palat, you trade for JVR, Konechny, and Cam York. And then you bring in one of either Manson or Ethan Bear, and there you go. <laughs> yeah, the ideal yeah, offseason mapped out for you guys, right there. We did it, guys. We're done. But then our our um, tank for Connor Bedard is no longer happening, unfortunately. It's not uh, unless, unless you get in a lottery conversation. You don't make the playoffs. You can still make it happen. Yeah, let's let's slow down. Adding Travis Konechny and James Van Riemdyk does not make this a wild card. No, no, no. I said Palat. And then oh, one yeah. of Manson and York jumps in, and then one of Manson and Bear, yeah. and then okay, maybe it gets. But if I had to pick one, I'm gonna pick the crazy scenario, the Philly scenario yeah, of getting JVR Konechny and like Cam York or Forrester or something like that. That is uh, 100% the thing I hope that happens most, and it's also the most unlikely thing to happen. So, what's fun is there's an even there's another stupid version of that with Vancouver where you do Garland and Myers and you pick up like put Colson or something like that in the process and oh, Hoglander that would be nice oh my god dude I Hoglander would be great but Vasily Colson as a, a Marion Hosa-esque type mm-hmm. on a second line like oh boy oh boy that would take the sting out of not drafting uh Frank Nazar Vancouver just might not be as dumb as they used to be to do that. That's the problem. Yeah. Yeah. That's unfortunate for everybody. Luckily, Philly still is, so we can go down that (laughs) route. Chuck Fletcher's an insane person. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Where are you at real quick on Zasha? I like him still. I still think he's an interesting player. He's a little bit older than I thought he was, but I still think he would be a a really interesting player to bring into Anaheim just on a uh, uh, a buying low kind of point. Yeah, he's a guy like I looked at to think of maybe including in here. Honestly, I don't really remember why I opted not to. Uh, but I like I think he yeah he profiles well. Again, he's six foot three, two hundred ten pounds, twenty five years old. Um, I, I he's under contract or is he RFA? RFA. So pending RFA. So yeah, in the same situation as some of the guys we talked about. I I could see it. Um, one of those guys you're gonna have to pay to get. I you know I don't think New Jersey's in any hurry to get him out the door. But there's there's some I interesting. Think you could swap options. him and Comfort. Yeah, that's what I'm that's what I'm thinking of. A very similar guys that, um, you know, similar player profile and what they bring. 
it hasn't worked out to the best for either of them. You want to just swap them out. Now, I think Comtois is a little bit younger than, um, than Pavel Zacha is. I'm, I'm gonna yeah, check a couple here. years. Zacha is about years. 25, Comtois is 23. Three. Yeah, so again, it's not too bad. So I, I could see it as potential. Um, it's just a like-for-like like swap, a hockey <laughs> deal that you bring in a guy, I hope a change of scenery works. I, I, I like Pavel Zacha enough that I'd be okay with it. Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, you know, I, I, to be honest, I almost wonder if you could talk, it, it, given uh, that Pavel Zasha can was drafted as a center. I wonder if you could do even something with Lundestrom, mm-hmm. who is a a much more definitive third line center than Zasha is, uh, and who fits in really nicely behind Heischer and uh, Hughes. Yeah, I wonder too if that's where you could potentially convince a team like that that is looking to do better this year to take on somebody like Kevin Shattenkirk. Um, because I just don't understand how they haven't traded for Henrique already. They know what he is. I He's know. absolutely rebounded. Like he has absolutely made me look pretty stupid with how well he played last year, uh, as far as underlying numbers. Um, I, 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 he just it, him going back to New Jersey just makes so much well, sense. And he's he's got a, a place in their their top six when you think got Kay Hughes this year. You've got uh, Mercer. You've got Brat. There's Holtz. a place for him. Yeah, you know Holtz maybe next year. You've got but you've got you know Sharon Govich. But you've got a place for Henrik in the top six there mm-hmm. if they wanted to bring him back. And I think Shattenkirk again like there is a spot where Subban just dumped with that space where he left. You've got Dougie. And Severson above it, you could play Schottenkirk where he fits best as a third-pairing mm-hmm. defenseman, second power play guy. And you've got Graves, Siegenthaler, and Ty Smith on the left side. So it's not like he's holding up any spots. Colton White it was their seventh man. He's a UFA this year. And they've got, you know, not a, maybe Riley Walsh is, is a guy coming up, but there's no key guy there. And they're not going to be looking to add, you know, a, a top defenseman because Dougie and Severson and Graves and Ty Smith and Siegenthaler kind of hold down those top spots for them. So I could see that as a potential. Maybe it's Shattenkirk in, in, in a swap for, for Comptoir, Shattenkirk and Steele. And now we're getting into those, like, GM, armchair GM trades where you're just dumping all of the stuff that you don't want for a guy that might yeah. fit. But, yeah, there, there are we some options there. The, so. the shit I don't want for the shit that you do want. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, guys. But, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't mind Zacha. I think... Uh, it's a risk, but if you're not giving up too much, again, it, you know it's a risk you, you're willing to take for a guy that was what, what, drafted what third overall? Pavel Zetcha was six, six, yeah, I so believe. At one point, highly touted for absolutely. So not and uh, not, not bad, out, just yeah. not what they thought they were getting. And with Heischer and Hughes definitely being what they thought they were getting, I think. It's just made it even harder for him to find a spot. Yeah, but there's some some slow progression there. Like the last two seasons have been the best two of his career, uh, goal scoring wise and points wise. Thirty five points, thirty six points, seventeen goals, fifteen goals. So like some slight progression there for him. That if you give him a, an advanced role and put him in the right situation, that maybe things click right. And he's a bigger guy, so the development curve might be a little bit slower. So I'd be I'd be willing. I'd, I'd definitely be willing to see if there there's something there that you can get out of him. So. Yeah. All right. We got to get the hell out of here. This is like a 75 hour podcast. Yeah. It's per the usual. If you made it this far, we appreciate it. We love you. They get this long because sometimes we go on rambles for 40 minutes. And then when we actually get to the show, we 
uh, profile like 40 players like we usually do to try and give you guys an, an in-depth <laughs> look at all the different options for the Ducks. Knowing um, us, they will do something we didn't profile here today yep. <laughs> and nothing that we did. Uh, that's usually how it goes. But uh, again, I want to thank everybody for the submissions. Uh, for your your thoughts, uh, obviously I didn't get to read them all off, but for everybody who do put in their submissions of what you wanted the Ducks to do this off season, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Reddit, uh, we really appreciate it. you know you guys just engaging with us and putting this content. I hope you got through this entire show and and enjoyed it. Uh, the only thing we didn't touch on that was suggested a whole lot, probably more than anything else, was to trade John Gibson because we have covered that a thousand different times. So if you want to hear our talk on trading John Gibson, just go listen to like any of the, the three previous shows before this. And uh, I'm sure it gets mentioned uh, at, at some point in there, but um, that will do it for today's episode. What we got planned for upcoming shows, uh, obviously our draft preview, we're going to get out as soon as we can. Uh, review, just... not preview. Oh yeah. Sorry. Review. God, not another preview. <laughs> okay. No, 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 another no, no, four no. hours on guys. They could have drafted. Yeah. No, no, <laughs> our early, early five hour preview of the 2023 draft. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, no, um, Connor Bedard, is he actually fifth in our rankings? My, my call. Yeah. But, uh, draft review with a guest. Uh, we have one slotted. We're just waiting uh, for them to get back from Montreal and be able to kind of sit down and see what time works for them. Um, yeah. but we we got that coming soon. So we're just waiting to get, and there's that. no rush on that episode, which is the good thing. We drafted who we drafted. Now it's just about looking at the prospects, where they fit in, what yeah. they look like. Uh, you know, a little bit of talk about some of the other guys. I'm, I'm really want to have an interesting conversation. Well, let me say this. I have a question that I've been dying to ask about Mason McTavish and I, I, I it's definitely, uh, something I'm really interested in. Yeah. So we're looking forward to that. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that there will be, even if that takes a little bit of time as far as like a week or two uh, after free agency, I'm sure there will be more than a few things to talk about as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then we get into the dead zone. Yeah. So the, the, the draft review show again, like, like Steven said, no, uh, no rush on that one. Whenever we can set it up, we want to get a guest on for that one because our poor timing with the preview meant that everybody was on their way to Montreal before we could get them on to the show. Yeah. So we're hoping uh, for this one, we want to make sure we can get somebody on and really dive into what they liked about the players, what they didn't like, what they think they can become, and, and look at some of the Ducks prospects. So we want to get that that out for you and make sure it's done right. Um, as for, for kind of upcoming shows from us, probably going to revert back to a, a weekly schedule at the very at the best, if not like a bi-weekly schedule, just depending on what does happen. Um, the next thing is Wednesday with free agency, uh, where we'll see if the Ducks do anything, any trades happen there. So if we get any news, like any trades or any free agent signings, We'll aim to jump on and, and kind of discuss that a bit. But uh, for now, I think that the shows kind of just depend on on what does happen, what news comes in. And we do have some some creative ideas for stuff outside of Ducks News just to kind of fill some content for the summer and fun stuff to do. So we will have that. But um, it'll be basically kind of a, a as-it-comes uh, schedule for the summer, you know, at least a couple of months uh, at the very least. So make sure uh, you stay tuned for that. But the two, again... The two uh, guaranteed shows of the draft review and some sort of free agency uh, slash trade review show once we uh, get to that point. So, yeah, nothing more to add. Thank you, everybody, for uh, giving us the time. If you did right now or giving us the time in the future, if you're listening to this uh, after the fact, we obviously really appreciate it. And 
hopefully it's worth the time thanks guys yeah just just we'll just keep talking and stretch it out because we got our three hour quota we gotta hit so <laughs> <laughs> we got we got an average show length that we have to keep consistent with here so oh sorry there we go we hit two two minutes two hours and 40 minutes okay we're good to go all right <laughs> appreciate it guys Shane stuck it up with this the, the long haul here. Appreciate you guys coming out, and uh, we'll see you. We'll see you all soon. Enjoy Wednesday's free agency, guys. Take care. Bye, everybody.